0: Buddy, and welcome to another episode of the Film Feast Podcast. I am your host Matt Bledsoe, and this week we are talking about David Fincher's Seven from 1995. Uh, to help me talk about it, I am joined by someone I'm very excited to have back on the show. Uh, she's been a guest on my favorite movie podcasts, like the Dana Buckler Show, Cobwebs, Schlock and All and Inside the Sequel. Uh, it's Carmelita Valdez McCoy. Carmelita, welcome back. How are you?
1: <laughs> hey, Matt. It is so good to be back here talking <laughs> movies with you. I am most excited. So thank we, you so much for inviting me back
0: you're welcome and we have such a fun movie to talk about
1: today as we oh, just... i'm 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 like beside <laughs> myself
0: oh i i do i posted on twitter how much i love this movie but uh it's a tough watch on a, a first thing on a monday morning <laughs> <So> I, was, <laughs> I was like oh that might have been a mistake but uh but yeah it's uh it's it's interesting there's a lot to talk about with seven it's going to be interesting um how we both feel about it, and there's just there's a lot in this movie to discuss. So I'm I'm really looking forward to this movie. Um, but uh, how have you been lately? Have you been watching good stuff. What have you been up to? What's what's going on?
1: <laughs> I'm pretty good. Yeah, I've been. I mean, always watching right. a lot of movies, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I've I've had a, a pretty good run recently. I've watched. I like those. I've, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been. You know, I think we I think we talked about this last time. I've been trying to balance between rewatching old favorites and watching new things things I haven't seen before and so I'm continuing that I want to keep adding to my you know just just all the movies that that I get to experience and enjoy Mm -hmm. and so and so I've been doing a lot of that lately
0: oh that's fantastic yeah I uh I'm all, it's a constant struggle. Like, I'm always trying to watch new stuff because otherwise my watch list will never shrink. But, right. But then on the other hand, I want to watch, you know, stuff that I like and it's comforting to me. So it's, yeah, I get it. It's a constant push and pull with, with, you know, watching new stuff and rewatching old favorites.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's, you know, I'll go through periods where I just can't make up my mind what I want to watch. And yes, the daunting watch lists on the five different platforms. (laughs) And, and so sometimes I'll just go, okay, screw it. I'm just going to (laughs) watch, I'm just going to watch something I already know I love and enjoy and just not, does not deal with scrolling for another 45 minutes trying to make a decision.
0: Yeah, they usually waste a lot of my time. And then I scroll, and then I have wasted like an hour and a half. And I'm like, well, that, yes. was, a, that was a movie. And now I'm tired. I'm going to go to bed.
1: <laughs> like, and I wasted so, all my stuff. It's time. so the, ridiculous. The worst. <laughs> I think it was last year, there was about a, a – it was a, at least a couple of weeks where I was only going to watch movies that I had on VHS. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I did that. And that was kind of cool because it, it, it meant that I had to – just go with what was there physically in my collection. It narrowed down my choices quite a bit. And I might need to do that again here pretty soon.
0: (laughs) It's a good idea. Just a physical media week. Like
1: (laughs) only watching stuff that you have in physical media, no streaming, just because sometimes that's easier when you just have a physical copy of something and there's a limited selection. A curated selection <laughs> to, to to draw from because yeah it can be intimidating to just go through all of the different platforms and and trying to decide what you're in the mood for and yeah
0: <laughs> no that's a good idea and I have had a separate little shelf like set aside for a long time now things like before COVID started of movies I took off like my main main shelf and said okay yeah. I haven't I haven't seen these I blind bought them or something uh I need to watch these and I barely tackled it <laughs> like it's sitting there right in front of me yeah and then I, I just like keep going back to streaming it's it's it's, it's a real sickness I don't know what's wrong with me
1: <laughs> <laughs> well I mean it's just so convenient right it's so it easy is.
0: it is and we did a whole episode on physical media uh me and my friend Keith and yeah. I talked it up but then I I still am like so lazy. I will put some things on streaming that I own, you know, and it's, it's oh totally, it's,
2: it's terrible. Absolutely,
0: it, it, it doesn't help that uh, I usually watch stuff on uh, my Xbox as my main like Blu-ray player, and lately right. something's been wrong with like the laser. It's not reading discs right, which makes me even oh, lazier. No. Because then I'm like, oh, I gotta pull out like the other. I have this older Blu-ray player that's just a standalone Blu-ray player. I'm like, oh, let me just find something on streaming because I don't want to deal with like fighting this disc and this uh this thing like you had to put it in like six times and I was to get it to play <laughs> it's just
1: like that's so annoying
0: yeah I'm like uh I should probably get in there and clean it but eh. it's like <laughs> it's streaming
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: terrible physical media odor I'm just it, it's well maybe
1: <laughs> now that we've put this out into the universe like you'll you'll <laughs> feel like the accountability of having confessed to all the listeners
0: I know <laughs> <laughs> that I'm a fraud. That I, have to, yeah, no, you're right. They'll have to do something about it now. And uh, yeah, I should, I should uh, do something. But I, I think last time we had talked about this too, where it was like we, And I think you said you were going to try to do it to watch more of the special features on Blu-rays. Do You remember this conversation? Yeah, I'm okay. kind of
1: failing. <laughs>
0: That's okay, I'm failing too. So I was just curious <laughs> if you were doing better I'm than kind me. Of
1: failing. <laughs> Schlock and awe uh, had me back. Lindsay had me on to talk about. Uh, Videodrome, and Natural Born Killers. Mm. And so in preparation for that, I'm a lot better about this when there's a podcast I'm preparing for. Because right. <laughs> I, I just get all caught up into, you know, the preparation of a conversation I'm going to have. But I'm, I'm still not very good at doing it just for funsies.
0: no that's that's usually when i do it too and that was a great episode i went to shout that out that was a great episode with you and Lindsay. um oh thanks two movies that i it's weird to say i love them i guess kind of like seven they're both kind of dark movies but i think they're great movies and that was a a great pairing i saw the episode pop up and i was like oh that's brilliant you know it was like it was so great and you both were so like enthusiastic about that was a great episode (laughs)
1: I'm really enthusiastic about bleak movies, <laughs> as you're gonna find out.
0: Oh, in I can't wait! Our yeah.
1: episode today.
0: <laughs> so yes, okay, uh, we can. Yeah, we can get in talking about some other stuff first, though. Um, yeah. What kind of stuff have you watched lately?
1: So I've got a few for you okay. that have been fun first-time watches for me. Uh, the first one, Byzantium from 2012. It's uh film from the uk directed by neil jordan who you might remember as the director of interview with the vampire okay and byzantium is a vampire flick it's kind of it's kind of like a mishmash of some of the feel of interview with the vampire and lost boys
0: oh okay i'm interested yeah
1: (laughs) but it's 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 very artfully done. It's gorgeous cinematography. The setting is these these English seaside towns. These two women who happen to be vampires are on the run. And in the course of the film, you learn about their relationship to each other and kind of how they ended up becoming who they are and why they're running. It's it's really well done. I really enjoyed it. It stars Gemma... Uh, Atherton? A- uh I don't know if it's her name. Yeah. Yes. Yes. See,
0: <laughs> I was Scherzer. thinking yep. for
1: sure the name I would mess up was Sir Ronan. <laughs> so I didn't even I didn't even practice Gemma's name. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a really fun movie if you like vampire flicks. I totally back watching this movie. It's a good time.
0: Okay. And guess what? It's already on my watch list on IMDb. So there we go.
1: <laughs> oh, so- uh, Awesome. It
0: sounded familiar when you said it. I was like, this sounds so familiar. But I didn't know it was Neil Jordan. I didn't realize he was in it. Okay, that that sounds very interesting.
1: It's good. I think you'll be pleased. (laughs) So the next one, this movie is so bonkers. (laughs) And I'm going to preface this in saying, I'm going to make the bold claim that this next movie might be the most cynical movie I've ever watched.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: (laughs) It's definitely in the running. It's Lady in a Cage from 1964. Okay. It's directed by Walter Grauman. It stars Olivia De Havilland, oh. James Caan, mm-hmm. <laughs> Anne Southern, and Scatman Crothers. This movie is—it's in—it's wild, it's <laughs> savage.
2: Oh wow! It's okay.
1: So cynical. It's got this like pulpy, exploitative feel, but it was. It was put out by Paramount, so it's not like a super B movie, but it kind of has a little bit of that feel to it, and it's just, it all, everything pretty much takes place in this one house, and this, this woman who's trapped in an elevator, it's,
0: wow, okay, I'm looking, yeah, I looked it up, and I'm like, it's so
1: cool, it's, it's on Amazon (laughs) Prime, Okay. if you use that service, you can watch it for free. You don't have to rent it. I was just blown away, because I, I was I was sitting down to do one of my little nightly double features at home, and I decided I'd do Olivia de Havilland, and this popped up, and I'd never even heard of it.
0: Yeah, I've never heard of it, yeah.
1: I was just, I I think I, I mean, there's no one here. I live alone. i think i probably hit my mouth was open just like slack jawed like what is happening this is crazy james con is so young but and he's just i mean it's 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 a window into what you can come to expect from james con as his career progresses but he's so young here it's just it's really good
0: Wow, okay. I'm this yeah. sounds very interesting. I'm gonna add this to my list too. And yeah, it's I can stream it easily. That's good. So Oh, all right. you must. Okay. I, I would say
1: <laughs> to any film feast listeners of the movies that I'm I'm kind of pitching here, that is the one like, please go watch this movie. It's crazy.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. That's a very high recommendation. I'm, I'm a believer.
1: I'm okay. a believer in Lady in a Cage. It's <laughs> Crazy. Uh, and then last but not least, I recently watched The Power
2: oh, um, okay. on Shudder, mm.
1: another UK horror film. And this is like if you try to Google this, you're going to see a bunch of different movies or TV shows called <laughs> The Power. But this is the one that's uh, written and directed by Karina Faith and stars Rose Williams. It's a haunted hospital story. And yes. there's, it's it's really cool. I really enjoyed it.
0: I think I heard about it from you tweeting about it, actually. <laughs> and, I really uh,
1: enjoyed it. Yeah, I, if you like haunted house stories, this is a good one.
0: I meant to check it out, and I just didn't have time. It's like so much stuff for the podcast. But yeah, it's like I did hear about this, and I saw you tweet about it, and I was like, oh, I need to watch that movie on Shudder. But um yeah, I didn't get around to it. I need to, I'll bump it up in the priority now. <laughs> it's a, there it you sounds go. very interesting. So I think
1: they just added it. So I'm, I'm sure it'll be there a while. It's, I mean, it's not a perfect film. And if you've seen one haunting possession story, you've kind of seen them all to some degree. So, you know, it's not like, oh my God, I've never seen anything like this before. <laughs> but the way that it's done, it's just, it's a really, solid ghost haunting story.
0: It's okay. enjoyable. All Check right. it yeah. out. I mean, if it's a solid haunting story, if it's done well, I'm, I'm in. I'll, I'm a sucker for those. So
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: okay. All right. Good stuff. Um, and if you don't have anything else, I'll do, I got a couple here. I'll, mine's all like, well, two of mine are newer and one's older and I should have watched a long time ago, but I'll get to that one. <laughs> uh, okay. So the first one, it's like relatively new, I think. It probably came out of nowhere. Um, have you heard of, Uh, shiva baby
1: oh that sounds familiar but i haven't seen it
0: okay it's uh let me see how do i describe this uh it is about like a young woman a college student um who has to go to a a jewish funeral service with her parents okay um and she runs into her uh her sugar daddy basically Uh, and uh it's a very it's a weird movie. Yeah, I really liked it. I really, really liked it, by the way. It's like people were saying good things, and I watched it. I didn't know what to expect, really. It's technically a comedy, but my God, sometimes it feels like an A24 horror movie because oh. <laughs> because they're in this house. It's like I think this would normally I, – I know very little about Jewish traditions. I apologize. But I think uh, Shiva, what I got was that it's kind of the awake, like right after a funeral, you go to mm. someone's house and have food and kind of you know mingle and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's everybody – crammed into this house and imagine like your worst like Thanksgiving, I guess, where it's like all your relatives are just like badgering you and like they've cornered you and they're like, what's going on with (laughs) school? Why do you look so skinny? Why do you, why don't you have a boyfriend? And this girl's like played by Rachel, uh, I believe her name, uh, is the main character. And so she goes there, doesn't want to go with her parents. It's all these relatives just like, you know, coming at her. (laughs) And then the, the, the guy she's been sleeping with shows up. Who's like an older man. Um, It's tough to talk about too. I don't want to start revealing things. It's a short movie. It's only an hour and 15 minutes long. It
1: sounds like a nightmare.
0: It's a bit of a nightmare. I saw someone on Twitter describe it as like uh, they said, uh, all non Jewish people, uh, Shiva Baby is a really fun comedy. All uh, Jewish girls, this is a nightmare movie. It's like, you know, but I think anybody who gets scared of like going to any large family gathering, of getting their family just berating them with questions this is a horror movie because and they right. shoot it sometimes like very tight close-ups it feels very claustrophobic there's sometimes that like i call it the a24 score where it's like these like very uh dissonant discordant yeah. like uh violins and thing you know like this it's scary music on top of like kind of funny awkward situations super awkward at times um it is funny it just feels very tense i also want someone to describe it as like uh, uh, kind of a a different version of Uncut Gems. It's so tense, like because things keep happening to this girl where like she's trying to hide stuff, but things yeah. are coming up, and she's trying to avoid things. It's constant, like you know, lying to people and avoiding things. And I I don't want to say too much because yeah, it's uh it's a very fun surprise. It felt like it came out of nowhere. I guess it was based on a short film um from a few years ago. I think maybe just a year or two ago. But it's it's good. It's really good. I think you could rent it um you just pay to rent it i don't think it's available to stream anywhere yeah. yet but uh it's very Sold. interesting it's good yeah <laughs> um well, what really you're like...
1: describing reminds me of like the invitation
0: it, i have could you see seen that the invitation? i have i really i like the invitation a lot yeah yeah uh,
1: like just most for most of that movie it's really just the <laughs> tension of
0: oh, all yeah. these so people tense. having
1: to play nice
0: <laughs> it's so tense like this is it's weird this is still funny but it's got like it does have these weird, almost feels like you. If you step, if you walked in the the right moment, you would think, are you watching some kind of scary movie? <laughs> just because of the music and how it's shot sometimes, and it's just so tense and awkward. And it's, a, I, I really liked it. It's such a unique uh, little movie. And bonus, it's under an hour and twenty minutes, which like that's thank you, that's a gift. Like you know what I
1: mean? Yeah, like, these days that's unheard of.
0: Oh, I love it. I don't know what I don't know what changed. I feel like when I was younger, if I saw a movie was like under ninety minutes, I think it was like. It was looked down upon i think you had to be 90 to get a theatrical i guess was the idea but now that's changed so much with streaming that if you're below 90 minutes it doesn't mean that much you know what i mean it's like yeah i'm uh, seeing
1: that more and more
0: and with i'm streaming happy about yeah. I'm, I'm, the
1: availability of things that are under 90 minutes
0: yeah it's a nice stark
1: contrast to all of the all of the big blockbuster films that are are now standard over two and a half hours
0: Right. Now it's like if your movie's not over two hours, people are like, that's not epic enough. You know? Right. Um, which I don't mind. I'm good. We don't need movies to be longer. If you, I mean, if you need the movie to be two and a half hours, that's fine. If it needs to be 75 minutes, that's fine, too. Just be don't be the movie you want to be. You know?
1: Yes. So, give us give us what we need to get the complete story.
0: Yes. Because <laughs> um, I just watched, yeah, The Departed, and that's a two and a half hour movie that flies by. Yeah. It's not feel like it's two and a half hours and that's it's right. it done. It's fine. But like some movies, I feel like they're really stretching for time. <laughs> so, yes. But so, yeah, Shiva Baby—that's a really high recommendation for me. Um, the next one is a movie I did not like anywhere near as much as Shiva Baby. <laughs> um, it was Unhinged with Russell Crowe. Have you seen Unhinged yet?
1: Okay, this is on my watch list, and I noticed that it it just got <laughs> added to Prime, and so mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to it. Please tell me that it's good.
0: <laughs> I did not like it. But I think I'm kind of in the, <laughs> the minority because I, I was – it was a weird thing. I was having like a really good day. The weather was great. I was in a great mood. It was a Friday. I was in a great mood. Unhinged like ruined my entire mood. <laughs> like, oh, no. Because it's so mean and like yeah, – it was funny because I'm at 7, which is a very bleak movie. But like that yeah. I can watch. And I'm okay with. But like Unhinged for some reason just bothered me because it felt – kind of like it was doing it to to be it, it feels like kind of immature or like a I don't know how to describe it. It's almost like it's doing it to piss you off and on purpose. And it I couldn't right. I couldn't help but think about when they were marketing the movie, like back when it was gonna be it was like the first movie kind of back in theaters, I feel like, and they were like come see unhinged or you know and they were like taunting you of Like you know, it's like it's like come see it you little bitch it's like hey it's like i <laughs> want to go to the theater it's like it's september leave me alone so leave it's like 20 alone. yeah it's like they were taunting people for not going to see unhinged it's like they were daring you to come see it in the theater which really rubbed me the wrong way And and then it's like the movie has that vibe of like i don't know it just feels like it's trying to be edgy and mean for like no good reason and
1: just for the sake of being mean
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, that like, goes some really like places where I'm like, oh my god. Like Russell Crowe's really really good and he is like scary in a way that feels like a a real guy you could run into, which is right. scary, but I mean, I don't know. All people like it and people had more fun with it than I did. I did think it just kind of I was in the wrong mindset, I think. <laughs> like I should have been in a bad mood or something, but This
1: is good to know. Yeah. yeah, it, it's been on my list for a while. There was like some little I don't I don't know on social some social media platform there was a post from russell Crowe, like to promote the film mm. and i remember watching it and just being like oh my god i love russell Crowe! i have to see this movie <laughs>
0: he's he's but the best I part yeah <laughs> yeah
1: you know and i haven't watched it but this is good to know that like mood is gonna play into <laughs> my enjoyment yeah i mean just based on the premise uh, you know <laughs> road rage like yeah, that could definitely take you to some ugly places.
0: <laughs> right. He just takes it so far. And it's like, I feel like a lot of the other actors aren't very good, honestly. I mean,
1: mm.
0: he's the best part. And it feels like, I don't know, it's, um, it's weird. I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I've seen a lot of reviews on Letterboxd. People are like, oh, this was such like mean, trashy, exploitation, fun, which usually is something I think I could get into. But not the day I watched it. <laughs> it was a mistake, I think. Uh, okay. So, just with that warning, I think, go into it. It's on Prime. Again,
2: it's
0: short. It's under 90 minutes. So, that's another bonus. Oh, nice. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm in the minority, I think. But it's kind of... Yeah, it's a weird movie. I don't think I'd watch it again. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. So, that's unhinged. Just a warning. But it's like... (laughs) um, Okay, the last thing I will mention... will actually, I think lead us in very nicely to Seven. Because uh, it's a movie that's been out since 2007. I... Have meant to see it for years and years and years, but the fact that it is a long movie actually kept me away for a long time. And I don't like true crime stuff that much. I finally saw Zodiac by David Fincher.
1: Oh, nice!
0: <laughs> and I loved it. I I thought it was amazing. I gave it five stars in Letterboxd. I was like, yeah, this movie's incredible. What the hell have I been doing for all these
1: years? It's like, very good.
0: It's so good. It's so it's so good. I uh, was blown away by it. Like it, I was like completely enthralled the whole time. Um, I was into it I was like yes all right the acting is like next level and like not even just from the main three guys it's like Jake Gyllenhaal Mark Ruffalo and Robert Downey Jr. who were like at the top of their games it feels like everybody else like there's so many character actors that pop up throughout the thing and it's just like Fincher feels like he is at his peak making that movie um he it's like it's so confidently directed and so well made And I just yeah I was like it's one of the times you watch everyone said it's great for years I watch it I'm like yeah everybody was right (laughs) and it's so good there I I don't even know what else to say because it's been around a long time and I'm like super late to the party but yeah Zodiac is is great everybody.
1: (laughs) Well I I just barely showed up before you did because I just watched that for the first time like last year.
0: Oh okay I don't feel as bad now thank you.
1: (laughs) No I was late to the party too. Um, I and I'm not sure what took me so long I I think maybe, yeah. I don't. I don't really know why I didn't jump on it because I I do enjoy true crime, and I and I enjoy David Fincher's movies. So I don't know what the delay was, but it did. It took me a very long time to get to it, and once I did, it was like yes, all of the praise is warranted. This yeah. is a good film.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I know. I I think I know what kept me away was like it was kind of a long movie. It's based on like true crime, even though it's funny because it's not, it is about that. Right. But I feel like it's way more about the guys who were working on the case and their obsession with working on the case. Agreed. Which is much more interesting to me, but the case is still interesting, but it's, it's yeah. So that, that was a component. I thought there's one more thing, but yeah, it was just a couple of things where I'm like, "I'll, I'll see it. And then in, I think it was on Prime. So, yeah, I've watched it on Prime, and it was. I was like, "Yeah, this is great." So I don't know. I'm just like, wonderful <laughs> movie. Uh, David Fincher, you're really good at this most of the time. I I, I don't. We'll get into that later. But I was like, I we like will. most. Of his, I like most of the movies. This is one of his best. I have to say. So Zodiac's one of his best. Um, and speaking of one of his best, so let's talk about Seven.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm so so <laughs> excited to talk about this movie. And I I remember when you and I sat down to talk about Mandy, mm-hmm. you were you were kind of worried like you love it so much and like what can you possibly say and i kind of have that feeling about seven like it's been 25 years this is such a beloved film and such an iconic film i started to, to get a little like cold feet earlier today oh. like what could what could i possibly add to this conversation <laughs> because this movie is just it's seminal but we're gonna talk about it, and it's gonna be a good time.
0: <laughs> I'm I glad you have confidence you in us. I, 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 have faith in us. I have faith in you. If we can do this, uh, we'll start off. We'll <laughs> start off really easy though, because I usually ask people. I, I, it's hard to spoil Seven. It's been around a long time. I think people have, especially the twist at the end, they've memed it. But I guess at first, we'll just I'll ask you. Do you remember when you first saw Seven, and kind of your general thoughts on Seven?
1: Oh, absolutely. So. Okay. <laughs> So I was trying to recall, I remember very vividly the experience of watching it that first time. I caught this when it first came out. Uh, the ending had not been spoiled for me. So I, I vividly remember the, the experience of watching the film and, and then experiencing the ending and how shocking it was. I don't remember if I was in the theater or if we picked it up as, one of those new release rentals that I don't remember, Mm -hmm. but I, I remember it hadn't been spoiled. It was still fresh in the zeitgeist. (laughs) And so here's the thing about the (laughs) nineties, there was a dark cloud hanging over my head for pretty much the whole decade. (laughs) And I was on my own little self-guided misery tour.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) for for most for most of the 90s so I was I was primed and ready for this bleak (laughs) movie I I was very comfortable with staring into the abyss at that time so so yes the it was still shocking just but I I wasn't I wasn't put off by the melancholy and and the dark subject matter, so I instantly loved this movie. It was just so impactful. I had never seen anything like this before, even though it did have, you know, that that noir sensibility in it, and it harkened back to some of these other film traditions, but it was it was really its own new thing, and I I just love it. I it's kind of one of those life-changing movies like there's before you saw seven and then there's after you saw seven
0: wow okay that was great i like now i'm like what, what? how do i follow that <laughs> no that was <laughs> that was wonderful no i it's I, I don't even know what to say it's uh, it's so good i i i I don't want to put anyone having to put their ages out here i think i'm a little younger than you because i you was are. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh I was a child throughout most of the 90s. I turned 13 in 2000, so I, I, I kind of missed Seven initially, and got into. Let me think. I probably got into. I probably saw Seven the first time I around when I saw Fight Club because it was like that time where I'm like finding directors and trying to trace their work. So, and that was like early 2000 So not long after Fight Club, but a few years from Seven, and I. Luckily, I didn't know the twist of Fight Club or the twist of Seven. so um, Amazing. Yeah, I was very lucky. I don't know how I avoided, especially Fight Club. That was, like, everywhere. And, uh, like, so that blew me away. I'll never forget, I watched that, like, twice back to back. And I watched Seven, and I was pretty shell-shocked at the end of Seven. Like, it was one of those times I remember, like, staying up late and watching it. I think I probably rented it. And it was one of those times when the ending's happening. It's one of those endings where you're, like, things are you're kind of getting it as it's happening where you're like oh no yeah oh no oh no it's like it's like oh god it's like no I remember getting up off the couch like sitting up I was laying down I remember sitting up off the couch like oh no oh god no like it's one of those horrible like slow realizations where you're putting it together and you're like oh my god and it blew me away I have loved it since like when I saw it so god it's been almost 20 years but it's like and I thought it was incredible and yeah it is a very dark very bleak movie there's only like a few moments of like levity throughout the whole thing I feel like it, we could talk about those more and it's I, it's I just I do love it I don't know if I love it as much as you do actually I thought I was gonna be here and be like the, the one that loved it the most but I, I I'm really putting it up front here that I think this is to me this is a perfect movie honestly and to me this is to me I think this is still David Fincher's best movie in my opinion. Same. A- <laughs> okay. Wow. We're on the same page. Good. <laughs> same. And he's he's made a lot of good movies. Like, I mean. He has. But I just think there's something about this movie and I was rewatching it and I just was like, I, I wouldn't really change any moment of it. I think it's put together so well. I think, and it's. I was thinking, like, wow, the script really deserves a lot of credit too to put these ideas out there. <laughs> like, yes, there's some crazy ideas in this, and then for David Fincher to put them on the screen, it's. I, yeah, I just was watching again, and kind of. I didn't watch it in probably. A, I don't know, a few years. It had been a while. I felt like I watched it a bunch when I was a kid, and I'm thinking, like, how did I watch this so much? Because it's a. It's very heavy, but. Um, <laughs> I could handle things. I think I could actually handle things better when I was younger. Cause seven had more of a vibe of like, Oh man, that was so cool. And, yeah. and I don't really think, and I think it's a great movie. I don't know if cool is the word. It kind of, <laughs> this, is, this is where we might get kind of heavy. It kind of like, it kind of kills me. It kind of breaks my spirit a little bit now because now that I'm older and more cynical, it's like, I don't know if cool is the word, <laughs> but I think it's incredible, an incredible piece of work. But I was watching again i just i was blown away by it almost in a different way than i'd ever kind of been hit by it um yeah we're kind of get into it more but um so okay clearly we both are huge fans of seven <laughs> like we're saying it's his best work so um where do you want to begin what where should we start with here
1: <laughs> oh I, yeah i mean i i think i think okay we should start talking about the bleakness because we've mentioned okay. this so much and it and yes. i i think that you know one of the things about this film is that it is it is dark in the visuals in the subject matter um it is very existential there's theology and philosophy and and this examination of the human condition and it is it's a lot of heavy stuff and and i think if you see this as a a young adult it's kind of cool i think in part because you're it's almost like you're getting away with something.
0: Mm-hmm. That's how I felt at like 1415. <laughs> I was like, ooh, right. this is so cool. Like you know, it's like, ooh, this is like yes. you know, it's so cool. And yeah, yeah, that's yeah. exactly how I felt. Yeah. With
1: each tableau and the gore and just the the blatant disregard for human life. yeah, <laughs> you know, it feels very subversive. hmm And I think as you as you get older. And you've kind of lived out in the world more. There is a, it, it. You feel the weight of it in a different way. Like,
2: mm.
1: like um, thinking about Tracy's struggle around her pregnancy, and and whether or not to continue with the pregnancy. Like, that's some pretty heavy, like life changing decisions, right? Know, and and yeah. existential <laughs> questions that are being weighed out in this film that I think maybe hits you a little harder as, as, as you, as you grow in life, but Mm -hmm. there is some hope in this story too. And I, I, I think it's, it's just there's so much complexity to this film and it's right down to every last little detail. Like every set piece is telling you more about the characters and about this, the story. It's just so many little details. And I thought. bleak yeah. is that there's just layers upon layers
0: to experience
1: yeah. and dig into.
0: Yeah. And I just thinking of like little details and everything. And one thing I was really noticing this time is like right from like the get go, they set up all the little details in. Morgan Freeman, and Brad Pitt's characters, which yes. become so much more important as the movie goes on in how they deal with the situation. Like right oh, away, I love it. Yeah, Like right away, you get the idea of Morgan Freeman being very much like he's seen everything. He's very calm. He and Brad Pitt is a total hothead, like right out of the gate. I feel like one of the first things that happens is he gets in some shit with like a like a random cop who's at a scene. And Morgan Freeman's yes. like, why'd you do that? Why waste your time, basically? And Brad Pitt's like, oh, the guy was, f-. you know, it's like he can't control his emotions. Um, and Morgan Freeman is very, like, you know, wise and calm, <laughs> which which comes it sadly comes from, like, years of seeing horrible shit is how they how they put it. You know what I mean? He I don't know. It's is it like he's numb to all this horrible stuff or is it he's just seen so much that he can process it and internalize it better? If that's, you know, that's kind of what I was thinking about. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, the psychology of these characters is really interesting. And I I think because of the way that this that this story plays out and because of the way the scenes are dressed to add to this story, they're inviting us to think about that. And and like right from the beginning in that first opening scene where Somerset is getting ready for work and it's like his last week of work. Mm And you see in his apartment, it's all very well organized and clean. He has a chessboard out immediately, even if you're not paying attention to it. It's painting the picture of a man who is intelligent, who is educated, who is organized. This is a very mature individual. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, he's got his little he's got his blazer laid out, like everything in his life is so laid out. And then. I love how you contrast that as he, you know, goes out into the world, into this city where everything is grimy and dirty and chaotic, and there's voices and cars and honking and sounds. And he's world he's world weary. What's the there's a German word for it, uh, weltschmerz.
0: Oh, I wish I knew. I don't know, <laughs> but he's definitely world weary. I think it's world weary. It's, yeah.
1: it's world weary. He's he's got this ennui he's
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know he's seen so much ugliness and pain and and you get the i get the impression as the story goes on and you see kind of the difficulty he has in connecting with people like this is a person who kind of puts up these walls and he's devoted his life to his work and his work is very emotionally draining mm-hmm. And you kind of have to cut yourself off to get through it and to do the, the work. And he's burnt out. And he's he admits later in the film to feeling that he's infected with the same apathy that he's seeing all, all around him.
0: Yeah, the apathy thing, that conversation hit me pretty hard because I feel like, oh, it feels like that's, you know, something that has not changed at all. It probably gotten worse because we're all like, yeah. So disconnected from, you know, being out, especially with the last year where people had to, when they had to go, you know, had to retreat to their homes and now it's like social media. You feel so, people forget that real people are behind things, you know, they they can just be so mean to someone and like so apathetic and, uh, oh God, this movie, it's like I'm already getting to like how it emotionally destroyed me again. (laughs) But, (laughs) But he... I was gonna say, like, yeah. I mean, he clearly has it together, and uh, it, it, their energies, their contrasting energies. Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman I feel like work so well together, and I like how there's a there's a little montage kind of, not near the early part where it's like they set up that that Morgan Freeman's like an intellectual, and Brad Pitt is not. He is very like like action oriented, like yes. emotional, uh, type guy, and they're so different in that way, and. And the other thing, oh man, because it's like I had forgot how much uh there's so much like especially when you already know what's gonna happen, that actually works better because there's so many little things that set up like the sense of dread or absolutely oh my god. I had forgotten a little detail about right at the beginning when Brad Pitt shows up and he, him and Morgan Freeman are talking about why he's in the city and how Brad Pitt fought to get reassigned to to there. And Morgan Freeman's yeah. like, Why would you do that?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And I'm just thinking of like it, I don't I just forgot or it hadn't hit me that like wow and we're gonna get into spoilers not people so if you haven't seen seven please go see seven but how he fights to get reassigned to the city and within a week it destroys his whole life like, yeah. it's, like it's his doing it's like he it's like he wanted to come here so badly and do you know I think he just he does seem like somebody who really wants to do good but he's so like you know, gung ho about it. The,
1: he wants to be where the action is. Where
0: the action is. Yeah. And it's like, I forgot, like, oh my God, he sets up his own, you know, downfall. I just, it was like, it weirdly, like, heartbreaking. Or it's just like, a, oh my God, I forgot about that. That That's, this is all on him, basically. So, yeah, that was just one thing where, and there's a lot of little stuff throughout where, where someone says something and I have this like, feeling, the pit of my stomach where, you know, oh no, I know that's not going to play out. Like, every time that Brad Pitt mentions his wife, near the oh, end and it kills yeah. me. I'm like, oh no. It's like you don't know what's gonna happen. <laughs> you know, it's oh so uh sorry, I'm not I don't want to get all over the place, but <laughs> it's
1: like <laughs> Yeah, no, the, the Mills character, just like Somerset, right from the gate, we get all of these little all of these little details that that point to the kind of person that he is and some of his shortcomings. And, and those are the very same shortcomings that are going to be exploited at the end of the film.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And like, like you mentioned, he gets, he gets into it already, the first crime scene he shows up to. He's already getting in someone's face. There's
2: right.
1: <laughs> Early in one of those early crime scene, uh, when he and Somerset are walking, they're coming out of a building and they're on the sidewalk, and some stranger just kind of bumps his shoulder. Mm-hmm. And and it's very quick, but he like, he like turns to mean mug this person. It's like, it's a crowded sidewalk in a city. <laughs> People bump into each other by right. accident, you know, but immediately like you already see it in his face that even just that very small chance encounter, he's already, his blood's up. Mm-hmm. Like this is, this is a guy who is just very emotional and, and just he's kind of a loose cannon. And when you go to their house, like they have moving boxes everywhere. It's just chaos.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and and you contrast that with later in the film. There's a scene where you see Somerset's apartment where he's packing because he's getting ready to leave after he retires. And his moving boxes are are lined up neatly against a wall.
0: Like mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> all these little details that contrast their personalities. Yeah, It's really cool.
0: It's it's so good. There's so much detail work in like every thing, every scene in the movie. It was like the way he Fincher shoots everything. The these murder set piece scenes are so like memorable. Like every single one of them because they're so it's grisly detail.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We'll 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 go through the tap the seven deadly sin tableaus <laughs> because those are just too good.
0: Oh, I mean, yeah. It's like it, it's funny because uh, the one thing I'm sure they were like could would have gotten an NC seventeen if Fincher showed more. I actually think he he actually kind of shows some restraint at some points. Yes. Whereas the imagination runs more wild than the stuff he does, especially with the um the one for lust, the prostitute oh, murder, God, where yeah. yeah that's, <laughs> which I think is how this episode <laughs> happened because we were talking about Mandy, which has a similar <laughs> device <laughs> and then that's in this movie. And just horrifying. And like Leland Orser, that actor just acting that scene where he's being interrogated and he's like hyperventilating. I read, I read that he um, didn't sleep for like two days before they shot that and he like psyched himself up and was like breathing. It looks too- like it. I mean, it does look like it. <laughs> 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 and just him telling you what happened to him and you knowing, you see what the device looks like, him describing it, you get the idea. Like you don't need to see, they, they obscure the, the body so you don't actually see, but you, you get it. Like, you don't need to, you know what I mean? It's like, and it's almost worse that you have to imagine the whole situation.
1: Absolutely. And, and this film does that, like, all throughout, when you really think about it, we don't, until the very end, like, we don't see any murders take place.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> very true. And I was thinking Dave, like, I guess some of these technically, it's, it's almost like it's a weird precursor to Saul, because I feel like <laughs> his defense would be, oh, well, I didn't actually, like, really murder anyone, they kind of made their own choice for a lot of these even though he definitely yeah. did. Yeah, it's like, because I was thinking like, yeah, I mean, he, he puts a gun to a guy's head and tell, tells him to use that device on a woman. So technically he doesn't do it to her, but he's still, you know, forced to happen. And the the guy that he, oh my God, we got to talk about <laughs> the, the one for Sloth is maybe the worst fate I could imagine. It's honestly. gnarly. It's the like, it, oh my God. It's it's like, it's, <laughs> it's gnarly. Wh- it's insane. Like, and it's so. I was like, this is a fate worse than death, honestly. If someone basically starves you to the point where you're still alive, but you look like a zombie and you, you are barely alive. Like, they, and at the hospital, that's horrifying too. They tell you basically, like, he chewed off his own tongue. His brain is like nothing, it's like mush. He's not even you know, he's basically, he basically is a zombie. I mean, it's it's horrifying. Yeah. Like, And uh, it's like that. So stuff like that. And he's like, well, he kept him alive, but it's like he still held him against his will. So it's just, it's so, the things are so grisly and so dark in a way that's like, you know, you better, you better shoot me in the head because this is so much worse <laughs> than the stuff that happens. I mean, uh, I'm showing all over the place. I apologize. But it's no,
1: like- no. Well, and that's the thing about this film, right? Is that Um, You know, the tableaus, we see, you know, the blood and the gore or in this that particular scene, just how gruesome it is to see this basically a barely breathing corpse (laughs) on this bed covered in bed sores like it's very gruesome. Mm -hmm. But there is because of how meticulous it is and what a great job they do with the sets and with the makeup and the practical effects. And and like in that scene in particular, it's my understanding from reading like interviews that that they didn't tell the the actors playing the SWAT team that that the guy was going to cough that he was (laughs) so that's like a genuine reaction from from the actor playing the SWAT officer.
0: Oh, it feels very genuine. That's good. (laughs) Yes,
1: (laughs) it was genuine. They did not realize, you know, but er everything about the way it's it's set up is just the impact is so visceral even though you didn't see a murder even though we didn't see john doe complete all of the steps to get this person to that place it is it's that imagination because you're looking at this scene and you're looking at what's left of this human being and and your imagination takes over what that year must have been like
0: yeah, no, it's, it seems horrible. It's like, and
1: your imagination takes it all the way there. Same thing with, with the gluttony
0: with ooh, that first yeah.
1: scene. And, you know, at first they think it's, you know, it's just like a heart attack or something. And then when they see that he's bound, and, and just the more that they uncover in that scene, it's like your imagination just takes over and you just imagine what that, like, what would it be like to literally eat yourself to death?
0: And they make it sound like the worst thing ever, honestly.
1: And then it's like gnarly.
0: Oh, just every it's,
1: it's it's so it's so awful.
0: Yeah. I mean, the sets, the the designs like these tableaus, these murders, some of them I feel like you could you almost feel like I feel like I could smell it. Like it just they describe yes. it so well that you're like, oh, my God, the smell must be so horrible. And like, you know, there's a part where Brad Pitt like looks in a, a bucket and it's got the, the gluttony one and he's just is like yeah. oh you, know, you look at it man it's like it's like you could tell it'd just be the worst situation to walk into and then for the sloth one they've got all those it's a great visual all those like pine tree air fresheners hanging in yeah, the ceiling all the air
1: fresheners yeah
0: and it's like oh god I bet it would be a rank in there too and uh that must have been an amazing jump scare I would love to see this movie in a theater because there's so many parts that I would let people react to for the first time like when, they, when he coughs that did I remember that scared the crap out of me <laughs> Because I was like, wait, no, he's supposed to be dead. What's going on? And
1: Yeah, it seems impossible that that the body lying on this <laughs> disgusting mattress could still be a living person.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's th- that's a shock. And of course the ending, which I would love to have I can't imagine seeing that with a crowded, you know, uh screening like 1985 when this came out, because I feel like people would just be like shell-shocked when they left the theater. They wouldn't even know what to do with themselves. <laughs>
1: yeah no totally and and then you have some of the tableaus like greed mm-hmm. and pride, that they're very the the way that the deaths are constructed is very almost poetic
2: mm-hmm. and
1: and the scene is i don't like you almost you can't help <gasps> this is gonna sound terrible like. <laughs> like you kind of marvel at just how clever it is
0: yeah i mean i I feel (laughs) it is i feel like morgan freeman's character especially is kind of at least he recognizes how meticulous that this is like he tells i think brad pitt is like can you imagine how dangerous someone is that they have the patience to to keep this guy alive for a year talking about the guy for sloth it's like think about who we're dealing with if somebody is that sick and that like you know, diligent that they're paying the guy's rent to get their, their t- They're they're still time. Like, on time. <laughs> they're, they're still taking care, keeping him alive, but barely. So it's like, what kind of person are we dealing with? And that like line really struck me this time, especially about like, he recognizes like how dangerous this is. And I love, there's a little moment that just, I don't know why it hits me. I think it's so well done where they're in the, uh, the greed one. And they find that the black light on the wall where it says, help me. Yes. And Brad Pitt like turns away and says something to Morgan Freeman. He says to Morgan Freeman, like, "Have you ever seen anything like this?" And Morgan Freeman just is like, "No." <laughs> like it, the way it hits is like they realize they are dealing with some really, like, fucking crazy stuff. <laughs> like they are. This is something that they have not seen before. Um, and it, yeah, it just hits. Like, it, I mean, it is like it's terrifying because I, this is. I, I don't. I don't know if it could happen. It could happen, I guess. But it's like <laughs> the idea that there are people out there who would do something like this is terrifying you know what I mean
1: oh yeah you know one of the things that that I love about the Somerset character he's one of my favorite characters in film to be honest with you
0: Uh, me too I do love him yeah (laughs) I
1: love him but I I love how when they when they get the first the gluttony murder Mm -hmm. he says to Arlie Ermey the police (laughs) chief (laughs) I love that Arlie Ermey is the police chief he says to him I can't do this case
2: Yeah, yeah, he
1: already knows they only have the one murder so far, but he already knows he can already tell that this is there's more to this. And whatever this is going to turn out to be, it's going to he he can't get involved because he because of the kind of person that he is who needs to research and learn and understand that, you know, this is a rabbit hole he does not want to fall into. Yeah. Right from the gate. And they haven't even they haven't even connected the next murders yet. And and I I, you know it's it's it becomes clear to him way before it becomes clear to anyone else there at the at the uh, precinct that like this is some real shit, some real (laughs) serious messed up shit. And this Mm -hmm. is a this is a criminal like they've never seen before. And I and you get that he you can tell that he's he has a a a respect for how dangerous this person is the danger that they pose and and he's not too proud to admit like this guy's a step ahead of us the whole way
0: oh yeah yeah i love <laughs> <laughs> he knows he's like we're sitting here we're like a step at least a step or two behind him because we're just yes. cleaning up he says that at one point i think he's like we're just here to clean up the clues he's already on to the next yeah you know, the next thing and i do love i forgot at the beginning how everybody is like like Morgan Freeman's trying to tell people things and they are just kind of shitting on him, which I don't understand because it's like, he's got so much experience. I think Arlie Ermey makes a, makes a crack about how he has unsolved cases or something, kind right, of taking a yeah. shot at him. Um, but yeah, Morgan Freeman already like from the get go, like you said, he knows that this is going to keep going, but no one will listen to him. And the, the one guy at the, the gluttony crime scene is like, it's a heart attack. I just to look at the guy, but you know, it's like, he's like, he's like, no, no, it's not, it's not that. And, um, I think that whole thing about him having the unsolved cases kind of leads to his uh, the way he is, because I think that he's seen so many people get away (laughs) that he's kind of has become a little apathetic because he's seen so many cases go unsolved um, that he just is like listen the good guys are not always going to win sometimes the bad guys get away like that's just the way it is but he wants to solve it but he just has that knowledge like Brad Pitt's like we're going to catch this guy you know Brad Pitt's like we're going to do it
2: oh
0: yeah and Morgan Freeman's like eh, know, you know so like, I don't know we're like a few <laughs> steps behind um, it's just this, it's a it's a realization of like I think when you get older that you just know sometimes things won't work out and younger people are like bound in inter- they're so they're so optimistic that they're like it's going to work sure. out and you're like, I don't know. It's like I've been through some shit. So.
1: Yeah, when you when you've been around the block a few times yeah. <laughs> and you've you've seen that sometimes yeah, things don't work out the way you intend or the way you plan. You know, sometimes life isn't fair. Sometimes yeah, the sometimes the good guy doesn't win. Sometimes there's all these mitigating factors that that means that things just don't work out and and definitely somerset you get that feeling that he's he's seen that before and and he knows to temper your (laughs) your expectations
0: (laughs) he's he's trying to i think he's trying to get brad Pitt to calm down but it's just it's it's of no use really (laughs) like um like i think it's funny because they i forgot how kind of combative they are right at the beginning yeah but they fall into it pretty quickly where they i think develop uh I would say a friendship or a respect pretty quickly. Um seems to happen at that dinner scene. Um when he goes to the that uh, Brad definitely
1: Pitt. Helps.
0: Yeah. <laughs> when he goes to Brad Pitt's apartment and meets yeah. him and Gwyneth Paltrow and they have dinner, which and I was really at this day. The only kind of moments where I feel like we are kind of escaping the darkness of the whole thing are the scenes with Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, like the scene in the diner and the scene at the dinner at the apartment. Um and I think Brad Pitt I saw, described her as like the movie's like ray of sunshine or something yeah
1: (laughs) i think it's intentional it's intentional she she is the character that in a lot of ways you know symbolizes hope Mm -hmm. she's a teacher it's it's pretty clear that (laughs) you know she so she's an educated person but unlike mills Brad Pitt's character mm-hmm. who's, who's kind of combative and, and doesn't always get along with people because of his, his temper, or Somerset, who's a little disconnected from people, a little standoffish mm-hmm. because of all that he's seen. the Tracy character, you know, she is personable and trying to connect with people. Like she reaches out to Somerset to invite him to dinner. And, and when she needs someone to talk to, she doesn't, even though she's, you can tell she feels a little weird about asking, she does reach out to Somerset to meet her to talk about the city and what she's experiencing living there. Like, she still connects to people, she still wants to help people, and she hates the city and she's having a hard time adjusting, but she is still someone who is trying to connect and trying mm-hmm. to feel hope. And, and she mentions that she does want to be a mother. She does want to have children. Her real question is. Can, is that something that she's. That she can do in, in a place like this. But you know. So there is something very hopeful about her. Her character. Which makes the end all the more tragic.
0: Oh yeah. It, <laughs> it's like. I think that's the part that I. Now that I'm older. Hits me so much harder. Sure. Is like her character and what it, it like before it's like oh it's this crazy twist wow but now i think so much more about the you know i know they're fictional characters but like you know the the what was what was lost there like not only yeah she's killed she's pregnant so she we've you know she lost her and her unborn baby at one time and brad pitt has like lost his entire life in one moment and it's like that hit me like so much harder than when I was younger and it just like just dealing with like the emotional cost of that, And like the st- the thing in the diner that scene with her, Morgan Freeman, like it's a great movie throughout. It's like great scenes, but that might be, that scene kind of stands out to me probably cause it feels oh, so good. Different. It's so good. Oh my God. Like it's like, it killed me today. There's a part where, um, Morgan Freeman telling saying to her about how he was going to have a child, but, uh, he decided against it. I guess whoever the woman who was with me. I guess they talked, and he was like, "We can't bring this kid in this world." And he says something to the effect of, "It's like, how does he say it? <laughs> um, I don't regret doing it, but I think about it every day. Or it's like he regrets it, but he doesn't. It's hard. To, I can't remember the wording. I'm sorry." Yeah, but... no,
1: he's no totally, and and it's it's one of those complicated. Emotions that, that, that people experience in a situation where, where you, because of the circumstances of your life or the person you were then, that you, you know that in some ways it, it was the right call,
2: mm-hmm. like he
1: didn't feel up to being a father, but you can have the conflicting emotion of wishing that you were the person that could have that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and wishing that it could have been different that that you had had felt like you could make a different choice and that maybe making that different choice would lead you down this different path, but that's just not the way that it went down and <laughs> kind of living with that the conflict of those those two
2: <laughs> yeah. those
1: two emotional <laughs> currents like feeling like. No, like that—that was the choice that I needed to make, and then also at the same time feeling like God, I wish I could have made a different choice.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's and I wish I could remember the line exactly, but thank you for helping me clarify that. And I was gonna say he says that line about like regretting it, but uh, you know he he doesn't, but he does. And then she makes a a look on her face is like that look of like someone trying really hard not to cry, (laughs) and it it broke my heart. Like because she has this like she's really trying to hold together, and I feel like she's going through a lot with being in this city where she doesn't know anyone, it's very different from where they came from. They kind of imply they came from, like, the country, it sounds like. Um, and that fact, she has this kid that she hasn't yet told her her husband about. So, yeah, yeah she got all the stuff going on. And I, I really feel for her. And then it's so much more tragic of knowing what will happen to her. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, it, it just kills me. So, um, But it's a great scene. They do. She's in, she's in the movie so little, but I feel like she's so good in the movie. She just, like it brings exactly what they need to that part.
1: She is. And she's, I love that. She's, she's not just important to Brad Pitt's character as his wife, but the fact that they have her and Somerset connect and have this very deep kind of intimate conversation about some really heavy life stuff. Like you can tell that in just this short amount of time, Somerset feels connected to her. Mm-hmm. which is not an easy thing for someone like Somerset to yeah. do. <laughs> and and so yeah, it adds this weight to her character that with so few scenes they could have got away with not having that. A lesser movie wouldn't have worked so hard. Oh yeah. to really weave her into the story so so powerfully, but they do and it's it works.
0: Yeah, cuz the movie kind of like stops for that scene it's like a it's like a break but I, it's like but i appreciate that they stop for that scene because it's so important and a lot of movies like you said they, they probably would not do it or just wouldn't it wouldn't have the impact it does i don't know it would have been quicker or something you know it just it's i don't know it's just so important and there's i told you it might get emotional in this episode but I, I warned you before we started recording like the, oh, the yeah. line that also kills me is when morgan freeman says he doesn't know if he wants he or I think she says they they're talking about basically, do you want to bring a child into this world? Right. And as a 15, 16 year old kid, I'm like, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> like, you know, I'm not, sure. like, I don't care. And like, I don't have kids yet, but I still really want to be a dad, but I still wrestle with that because the, the news is like so bleak all the time. Like things have I think only gotten worse in ninety five. It's so funny to me came in ninety five and it was so bleak. We're like, this is a pre-9 eleven world. This <laughs> yeah. is like yeah. pre-pandemic. This is pre uh you know, this is the last four or five years have been so terrible. It's <laughs> just it's like and it's like, Jesus, it's like I it's like, do I dunno, it's tough. Like I think I do think about that. Like I'm just like, there's a lot of bad stuff in the world, and it's like, do you wanna bring a kid into it? And so that hit me in a whole different way today. <laughs> oh, like, oh, yeah.
1: It, yeah. <laughs> As. Yeah. In adulthood, yeah. where these are very real questions that, that people ask of themselves and of their partners and and of their families. Yeah, it's intense. <laughs> and for anyone who's ever struggled with this question, it hits like real deep. That yeah. that whole conversation, and really, I mean, just throughout the film, some of the conversations that Mills and Somerset have as as they're discussing the sins, and and some of the the literary references that that inspired the tableaus, and as they're kind of talking about the world and about thought around sin and around guilt and retribution and. And they're talking about the city, about the human condition. Like there's a great line that I love when Somerset is, I can't remember which tableau they were talking about, but Somerset mentions that, that in the city, the first thing you learn is to mind your own business.
0: Mm. And, because he talks about how no and, one, no one bothered him.
1: <laughs> no, yeah. That no one heard or, or yeah. called in or, um, and I love that line because it's so true.
2: <laughs> yeah. Like I, if it's... you've
1: ever lived in a in a in an urban environment or in a big city, yeah, like one of the first things you learn, street smarts, is to mind your business when you walk down the street, keep your eyes forward and you look like you know where you're going. And mm-hmm. you don't you don't go where you don't belong. And <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> there's all of these these survival the, all of these survival techniques yeah, <laughs> and this kind of armor that you put on mm-hmm. and, you know, and that's, and it's part of our, it's part of the survival in, in the society that we live in, in, in certain places that it can get really easy to, you know, you, you do certain things for survival and there's something that you sacrifice of yourself that's in super- living that way.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And you kind of lead me into like kind of the one of my big points about this movie is I, and I don't want to say the city's another character in the movie. because That's a real cliche. It is. But, but, but it the, is. Yeah, it, that's true. In this movie, it's the setting of this nameless city where it's always raining because they never really say where it is. I, I know the writer, I think, lived in New York and based it off of that and his experience not liking living in New York City. But they never right. they never name it. And it's always raining. <laughs> it's like overcast, and it actually feels—I like, feel like it has that feeling of it could be any time because this doesn't feel like 1985 to me. People are still using typewriters. People are yeah. still like kind of dressing a little bit like older. It feels like a city out of time, just kind of in its weird place. But it—it it feels so oppressive. Like the, the like yes. the sun is never out. Literally, the only time it stops raining is when they leave the city at the end of the movie, and they're out yeah. in the middle of nowhere. No. It's <laughs> um, true. It, which I find so interesting. I find such a brilliant touch, because it is so important that it feels it the setting is so important for how the movie just feels so bleak and so dark, and where all the stuff is happening so
1: absolutely. Um, one of the things that really struck me this time was, you know, Somerset or Mills, a character will be in a room alone indoors, but you can always hear the background noise of children yelling cars honking Mm -hmm. it's like the outside world is trying to encroach on you even when you're in your private space
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah
1: (laughs) but then at the same time everyone in this movie is kind of isolated so it's this weird that like being alone in a crowd
0: yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's there's a
1: feeling of that and and one of the things i really enjoyed too and i loved this when i first saw it because i'm a i'm a Bookworm, I love reading, and I I love how you know when Sever sets in the car and it's like the city is grimy and it's dirty and and it's noisy and it's chaos, and then he he escapes into the library,
2: mm, mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and the library is like his happy place, just like it's my happy place. It is <laughs> clean. And it's beautiful lighting and the architecture is so nice and the books are so orderly and there's classical music playing. It's like he has this reprieve.
0: Yeah, I love that he the, the noisy city. city. Yeah, I love that he knows the guys there too, like the security yeah. guard. <laughs> and they just put the classical music on for him. It does seem like his his dream place, honestly. <laughs> it's like he seems so and he's so meticulous in his research. I think they're like cross kind of Brad Pitt just like scarfing down donuts and like <laughs> like looking at pictures and it's like yeah you know, and freeman's watching sports like, yeah <laughs> morgan freeman's like going through classical literature and like you know he's doing all this stuff and it just that's a great the two of them and how different they are but i love that idea of like yeah that's his place to like escape because he's like an intellectual guy so i mean he wants like they made that very clear that he is like it's an intelligent guy and he feels very Tired from this like burned out from this city like um, do they yeah. ever explicitly say that he's planning to like retire outside the city or does he kind of mentioned they it kind a couple times hint at it mm-hmm. and
1: I think I've read that there, there might have been a part in the script that was more explicit about what his plans were but you kind of get the from what's left in the film you get the impression that he, he's retiring and that he's planning to leave
0: right yeah i kind of that's how i got it but i didn't remember they actually like said like he's going to go retire in the country but yeah i think it's more hinted at you're right but uh um and this is for me from somebody who's never lived in a big city i live in like i've always lived in the suburbs and it's like it's funny because i'm near virginia beach which is a huge city even the city i live in has grown huge over the past 20 30 years um and it's but they're all it's so spread out so sprawling you know it's just like a sure. bunch of suburbs put together we don't have like a a big city center. Like it's our downtown is like pitiful for most downtowns, you know, it's like it's just not, it's not the same as like a New York city, which I've only been to once. And I gotta be honest, New York city is not my kind of place either. I would be like Gwyneth Paltrow. Or I would be, I don't fit in here. Like it's too much. Like nobody stops for anything. It's the, the it's constant. We were in a, uh, we stayed like in a hotel way high up. I don't know. We were way, mm-hmm. I, and but I could still hear so much noise. The city never stops. You know, it's just like, Um, just not my kind of place.
1: So it's not, yeah. City living is not for everyone (laughs) for sure. And, you know, it's yeah, it's, and, and it is, it is, it's cliche to say that that it's a character in this movie, but it absolutely is more so than, than a a lot of other films I can Mm -hmm. think of. Like it very much is a very important element to this film is the, the way that the city, um, affects the characters and and their interaction with the place where they live
0: yeah absolutely it's 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 super it's important i can't imagine the movie without the setting like they go hand in hand i think of seven i think of constant rain and like you know just a very dirty like busy city and just how like chaotic it is i love that morgan freeman has that metronome at night and then by the end he just chucks it that scene where he chucks it across the floor because like the noise has it's gotten into him. He can't, he can't even block it out anymore. Um, like he's trying to be calm, but it's like, it's, it's we're past that point <laughs> and like it's, he's, he's trying to keep a calm, but it's just not working. <laughs> so I, yeah, it's, it's so interesting. I don't know. Um,
1: There's a setting we haven't yes. talked about yet.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm curious.
1: Apartment.
0: Yes. Wow. Talk about like some meticulous set design and some like, what an amazing, like place and though oh my god I, I kind of jumping around but those those composition notebooks he has yeah which, did you know that they wrote like so they had people write out like 2,000 of these or something. it's I'm so like, awesome it's, it's amazing like no one's ever gonna see these but there's like we gotta have notes in every single notebook um
1: I love uh, it I love it you it's like they go into that apartment and they're it's like you're taking a tour of the killer's mind
0: mm-hmm He's got those like boxes for each sin, I believe. It's like on the wall. It's
1: it's so good. (laughs) Okay. And let me say this. Okay. Being an an angsty, an angsty teenager when this came out, (laughs) the aesthetic of his apartment, I was into it. (laughs) I get it. it. All of the walls painted black and then that neon red cross
0: Mm -hmm.
1: on the wall. (laughs) I I mean, it was a little
0: aspirational.
1: I'm not gonna lie.
0: <laughs> just without, just without the murder. Uh, just without
1: the murder. I don't, I don't want to murder anybody. Yeah,
0: I just want a cool black apartment with a red cross.
1: Yeah, with the the creepy morbid apartment. Yeah, I get it.
0: <laughs> so I'm gonna take a guess and assume you were also excited. They used that remix of like "Closer" in the opening credits.
1: Oh <laughs> yes, I was.
0: <laughs> oh, I do love it. I don't think I was a Nine Inch Nails fan right when this came out, but I became one later. And watching it a day, I was like, oh, right, I forgot that he closer in the opening, uh, the opening titles. And it fits so it's well. So perfect. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. That's the thing about the 90s. I personally was in a downward spiral and I oh. spent a lot of time <laughs> listening to the downward spiral.
0: Mm hmm. That's like
1: both of those things are true.
0: Talk about bleak. Yeah. let <laughs> <laughs> I think we mentioned that a little I bit.
1: Survived.
0: Yeah, I survived. I
1: survived you... the 90s. I'm here <laughs> to glad tell the tale. Here.
0: <laughs> oh i i wish i was a little older in the 90s oh it was fun to be a kid in the 90s and i was thinking that day i was like it's so funny this came out 95 because i i was a child so i don't know but to me the 90s felt like this amazing fun time when it was like all about like pogs and spice girls and like <laughs> you know and just uh boy bands and britney spears and like just fun Bill Clinton having sex scandals, whatever. It's it's <laughs> like everything was great in the '90s. Is how I remember. Like I'm watching Nickelodeon, but I never know how much that's a, that's to me being a kid and being ignorant of things going on. But like, you know, then I grew up in that. Every everything felt different after 9/11. Like, honestly it's like it just felt like we it, lived it, in a whole. It
1: changed. Different- it changed a lot of things. Yeah
0: yeah so to yeah. me thinking this movie's so bleak 95 and it's like it's gonna get much worse is what I was thinking like I'm like you guys <laughs> don't even know how good you have it but <laughs> but I've I, I've a little I'm a little younger but I know I know Gen X still had stuff they were upset about in the 90s I know that's why grunge oh, yeah. was around in 90s yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, so, yeah. um, there was I
1: mean, there was yeah there was there discontent was yeah. there was discontent for sure um <laughs> and yeah so yeah the use of of the remix of closer was perfect it it just totally captures kind of the vibe of of this movie if you ever want to see something really fun Mm. (laughs)
2: look
1: up youtube uh reaction videos of people watching the closer video for the first time
0: oh okay yeah (laughs) I can I can this, only this imagine. <laughs>
1: as as a middle aged woman, I have recently discovered these reaction videos, <laughs> which makes me sound so lame. But <laughs> um, but I stumbled upon one where someone was watching the closer video for the first time, and I. I almost spit the drink out of my mouth because oh it's so hilarious to see someone who's never heard the song before and never seen the images of the video <laughs> and for them to experience that for the first time was just I,
0: it, I'm going to look these up it was now incredible what yeah was, what it. was the Nine Inch Nails video that got banned that was never um it was off Happiness
1: like, and slavery
0: that's it yeah yeah with like the performance artist guy and all this weird shit is happening
1: Bob Flanagan <laughs> like,
0: that you know, yes. Thank you. You know this all. So.
1: Oh, oh, I do. Because we had a friend had the double VHS. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and and so we would all sit around and watch it. And the happiness in slavery video was my favorite. <laughs> I love Bob Flanagan. There's a great documentary about Bob Flanagan. Bob mm-hmm. Flanagan, super masochist. Highly recommend it. Um. Just a a really a wonderful performance artist, a really lovely human being, a very interesting person. Uh, But yeah, so yeah, we used to love watching those videos, and and yeah, I I mean, I started I was getting into all of this at that time.
0: Okay, so I feel like seven fits right in with like kind of right there. This is very edgy counterculture. Like things were yeah bleak. I remember this is like. There was this time, I'm young, I remember this, where MTV had videos that they only played, like, after midnight or something. And they were banned oh, to sure. the late night rotation. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like that was mostly Ninja Nail stuff. Uh, but, and like, all kinds of uh, stuff. So, I feel like, yeah, this fits right in with, like... If, I could imagine if I saw this as, like, a, a teenager in the 90s, I would have thought it was, like, yeah, super cool and edgy. It fit right in with all the things that I'd probably be into. Because I was always, I always said this before we started, how like with bleak stuff where you're like, listen, I like bleak things, <laughs> and <laughs> dark stuff. And like, I do too, to an extent, if it feels like it's not trying to um, be edgy, like unhinged, I felt like was trying to sure. be, but like, if it's just genuinely that way. And it's so funny. People meet me and like, I can never tell like at work, they do these like icebreakers. Like, what's your favorite music? What's your favorite movie? And I feel like I have to lie. Cause like everyone, like <laughs> everyone like looks at me like, Every time I tell people I'm into horror movies, they're like, what? That doesn't, like, I guess I have this very sunny disposition. I just seem so, like, cheery all the time. And I'm a pretty happy person. But, like, for some reason, I gravitate toward, like, really weird, messed up stuff, especially in, like, movies. Like, um, the weirder, the better. That's why I think I like I hear um, you, my friends. Italian horror so much. It's so fucking weird. Like, I don't know what it's like. And uh, people see me watching stuff, and like, I don't get it. And I'm like, I, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I just, I'm looking for, like. To to find this dark stuff, I think that makes me, I think it makes me feel a little better about the real world, honestly.
2: Because <laughs> I'm sure.
1: like,
0: things could be worse, you know. Things if I, sure. I watch the darkest thing imaginable, I'm like, well, things aren't that bad.
1: <laughs> it can be very life affirming. Yeah, <laughs> to confront the dark corners. You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, it can be very life affirming to to kind of face the things that make people uncomfortable and afraid and the things that disturb and unsettle people. And then you face that and then you can go back to your life and, and it's all right. Like you're okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, Oh yeah. It's not so bad. here, <laughs> You know? Yeah. It's so, better. Oh, I, I'm with you. The, the bleak stuff. I'm like, I mean, I'm always drawn to it. Sometimes it, It doesn't work or it's too much, but, uh, but, but I am like weirdly drawn to, and I don't, I don't know why I, um, I, I don't even know that well about myself, (laughs) so I don't don't know. Um, but sorry, back to seven. I feel like people are probably like, all right, guys, seven. I was like, I'm sorry, but it's like, this is an interesting side (laughs) conversation that we're having. I'm enjoying it, but, um, I do definitely want to, uh, talk about like the ending specifically. Let's do it. Okay. So, um, when, how do you, I guess, I don't know, how do I say this? So how do you feel about it? Or like, does it still hit after you know kind of what's coming? Uh, you know, just kind of like your, your, what you think of it, basically.
1: <laughs> so I love the ending. And I'm so glad that they didn't go with one of the alternate scripts mm-hmm. where the ending was changed. I'm glad that they had the balls to, to go with this ending. I think it's really well executed. I think it's it's super impactful as a twist the first time, you know. The the yeah. four, you know you have the final murder of the first five. Uh, Pride is the the closest foreshadowing to what the wrath kill will be like because Mills could make a different choice. Mm -hmm. only Mills is who he is he's not going to make a different choice and and that's something John Doe's banking on but you have the foreboding from that last kill and then after John Doe turns himself in and all their interactions with him in the car and it's building Mm -hmm. that sense of like like this is too easy it's too easy it can't be this easy right right (laughs) and you know, but of course, as they lay out when they're having the discussion with the DA, played by Richard Roundtree, Shaft.
0: Oh, yeah. I love and... that little piece of casting, like just awesome <laughs> oh, shafts it. in here. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, they're talking to the DA and to the police chief, and they're like, okay, it's your call. You know, but, so they need to go, but they need to go through with this. If, if there's a possibility that there's two more bodies, they, they have to see this through. Mm -hmm. and make the deal and it's just building and building and building and you're getting that that feeling like something's not right and and the conversation that takes place in the car as they're driving is is so uncomfortable and unsettling and and you just you don't know what's going to happen but something is just wrong and so when it finally happens the first time, it's the shock of right. <laughs> it, and how clever it is, and how how John Doe was literally ten steps ahead of them the entire time. John Doe knew mm-hmm. that Mills would would make the choice that he makes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He timed this meticulously. There was, you know, John Doe was very confident that this would not fail, and 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 it's shocking that first time. In subsequent watches, what I love about it is is all the little. Once you already know what the what the ending is, that the box will be delivered, and that that will set off the chain of events for the final death, of the wrath tableau. It's then you pick up on all the little subtleties, mm-hmm. like the conversation in the car, and at the different points when Mills is getting. Like his buttons are getting pushed. And then the moments where he pushes John Doe's buttons. And and just how that's that's setting up that final conversation as John Doe tells him about the envy killing.
2: Oh. And yeah.
1: (laughs) And and tells him what's in the box. Yeah. Without saying it's in the box. And and I love Morgan Freeman's performance.
0: Oh my God. Yeah. I was really blown away by it. Like this time, even more than before, for some reason, I just was like, I love it's the way that he amazing.
1: plays it. <laughs> it's some of the best work he's ever done.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. I agree.
1: <laughs> you can tell all of this emotion in his face when he opens the box, the horror. hmm. And, and the realization of what this means. And, And his realization that Mills, even though he's going to try to talk Mills out of it and reason with him and calm him, he knows. (laughs) Yeah. He knows that Mills is going to to kill John Doe and complete the seven. Mm -hmm. And he's trying so hard to reason with him. And you can see in his face all of that emotion as he's trying to do that. He's trying, but he knows it's not going to work.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's.
1: And when, yeah, when the news about the pregnancy comes out.
0: Ooh, (laughs) yeah, then I love how he slaps (laughs) it.
1: Oh my God, all three of these actors reacting to that statement hanging in the air. Mm -hmm. Like Mills' realization of what that means, that his wife had a pregnancy that she did not tell him about. Yeah. And that now on top of losing her he's also lost this child that he didn't even know that he had to lose. And John Doe's realization that oh this is even better than I planned.
0: Right. Yeah, cuz he has that like oh you didn't know thing, you know, where yeah, that, oh, the delight
1: God. on his face.
0: <laughs> I know. Oh, the delight
1: <laughs> in in oh this is this is even better. <laughs>
0: That's when I really want Morgan Freeman to slap him again. I'm like, just keep. Oh this. my
1: God. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh and, my God. And Morgan yeah.
1: Freeman, the look on his face of, of because he, he already knew that. And because he knows that Mills doesn't know. And all of his emotion around, like, I need to shut this guy up because <laughs> like, it's over.
0: <laughs> yeah. It,
1: it's, it, it, it's so good.
0: It, it's everybody there. Oh, you said that very well, by the way. I'm, that's why I'm glad you're here because you can say, you, <laughs> say these things so much better than I can. And you just nailed like everything about why it's so good. And I love you. Yeah, everybody there knows Mills is going to shoot him. I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Kevin Spacey knows. Uh, uh, Morgan Freeman, even though he tries, he just knows that it's he's going to shoot him. And like Brad Pitt is wrestling with it for a minute. But he, I mean, everyone knows he's going to shoot. Like, I love Morgan Freeman also just like throws his gun down very casually. Yeah. He's like, he's like really trying. He's like, listen, my, you know, throw your gun down, my guns down. Like, you know, and I I mean, (laughs) it hits. I, uh, man. So I I have a question for you. It's really to know each other. So if you're in Brad Pitt's position, do you think you throw your gun down or do you think you do what Brad Pitt does and shoot him? Because I know my answer.
1: (laughs) I am. If I'm, if I'm being honest with myself. Uh. Man, this is a tough one. <laughs> I, I don't on think <laughs> I, d- I don't, I don't think I, I don't, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I'm more of a Somerset type person. I'm more of a guarded kind of. <sighs> yeah. So I like to think that I would be able to, to be a little detached. <laughs> I like to think that. Um, but I guess it would depend on whose head's in the box. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, oh, and I don't even like to think about that.
0: Oh, I mean, whose
1: head, whose head would you have to put in the box (laughs) for me to shoot John Doe? I don't even want to go there, but yeah, I don't, I, I honestly don't know. My honest answer is I
0: don't know what I would do. I mean, it's tough. I I feel like, yeah, we're we're getting really heavy now with these choices, but I I just think it's so interesting because I feel like it is like a situation where people are watching and going, like, what would I do? And, like, listen, I don't know if this is bad for me to admit, but I think I would do what Brad Pitt does. I'm I'm thinking if I had a wife and I just found out, like he does, that there was going to be a child involved, too, and I know what this guy's already done. And he's admitting to all these, th- you know, he's he's clearly this is not like we don't know if he, he tells us he did all these other things. Oh,
1: yeah. And he's so, taunting you about it. And
0: He's taunting me like I don't I'm a pretty emotional person. I want to be a Somerset. I'm closer to a Mills. Like I'm kind of in the middle. <laughs> the older I get, the closer I get to Somerset. But I've sure. always been big on like this. Why i surprise people. I can be very I get frustrated very quickly. I get angry very quickly. But then I can also, it's sad and get happy. Like I, I'm big emotions, you know, so it's like
1: sure. an emotive I, person.
0: I'm a very emotional. Everyone tells me that's like my one my big character flaws is I get too emotional about things. And uh, very I would I probably would have shot him before Brad Pity. I wouldn't take that long. <laughs> like, I honestly think because I'm like, yeah, he deserves to be. I, I just I mean, this isn't a situation where. Like I said, we don't know. The guy is telling you we did it, so we know he did it. So right. it's like, listen, it's pretty clear cut. It's like, so I just think when he does it, I'm like, yeah. And it, Brad Pitt's lost everything. What does he have to live for at this point? It's like, um, you know, I just don't see how most people don't make that choice. The only thing I could think that would stop me is if, like, I just broke down. And like fell to the ground and like you know c- completely like emotionally broken. If I still incapacitated, even... right? Basically, yeah. I mean that might, and or if like Morgan Freeman uh, tackled me, or something. yeah, if you uh, were you know, physically
1: restrained.
0: Yeah, physically restrained. But I, I just don't see any way if I'm in a situation that I just don't do what Brett Pitt does because I can't. I can't even blame him. I mean, he just got hit with a freight train, and the guy's taunting you, and it's like, you know, he's clearly a monster. It's like, well, end of that. But then it's like. And then people oh well, he gets what he wants it's like well he'll be dead so he can't enjoy it <laughs> so
1: it's like well you well, know I mean and this is this is the the this is the awful genius of the John Doe character right right yeah <laughs> he didn't take a chance on singling out Mills for this
0: mm-hmm.
1: he read Mills in their earlier interactions right yeah he knew. He knew that Mills would have to do this. And I, you know, I, I think it's, th- you know, this is one of those, like we're having this, this discussion, I think, if you were to poll a group of people, this would be a really interesting Twitter poll.
0: This would be, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, for Film Feast listeners, I'd be curious <laughs> how it would turn out. Um, you know, I, I think you would, I think if you poll people, and of course, what people say they would do doesn't necessarily translate. I was going to say
0: actually being do in the moment with these kind of emotions versus just seeing behind a Twitter poll going exactly. Yeah, I'd be cool about it and
1: like you know you like, can be armchair quarterback, right? Uh, but yeah, you know, I think I think probably the realistic thing is there because people have that fight, flight, or freeze response in stressful situations. There are people who would lash out and do it and kill this guy there are people who would freeze who would just not be able to um you know these are very human responses that that are triggered by stress and we have no control (laughs) you know yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, on on how we how we respond to that kind of extreme stress but i i think the genius the evil genius of john doe is that he read Mills perfectly and he knew that his plan would not fail this, yeah. this yeah. same thing on Somerset <laughs> might not work
0: right plus he didn't hear everyone close enough to, to pull exactly. this off yeah.
1: <laughs> so you know he read Mills perfectly
0: yeah I, I don't think Every anybody in the, the way. in the audience I, I don't know what the mood was but I imagine if I was in the audience and we've seen Mills the whole movie you got to think, yeah, he's going to shoot this guy. It's like we yeah. know what a hothead he is, and he acts on emotion. It's like there's no chance he's going to just like walk away from this. I would have been shocked if he just threw the gun down and walked away, but um of course, it doesn't happen. So, and I read yeah. that uh, Brad Pitt, like, I guess the studio was worried about the ending. And they wanted to possibly change it, and I can't remember what the alternate. Ending, you could probably tell what the alternate endings were, but Brad Pitt said if they if they change it, he would walk from the whole project. Is what I read.
1: Yeah, I yeah, I I've heard that, and and I love that they stuck to their conviction about this being the script that they signed on for this being the story they want to tell and, and demanding that this be the movie that gets released. I love that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so, it's kind of crazy that this, (laughs) this movie exists as it does because it's so dark and, not a typical crowd pleaser in any way. I mean, it's New Line. I so mean, they could take some more chances. I I kind of sure. forgot where New Line was at this point, where they were talking about how this was like one of the first big. This felt like a prestige movie for New Line with yeah, Brad Pitt and Freeman, and like um and yeah, just how how big this was for them. Um, but uh, oh, I have to ask you this before I forget did did you read about the possible alternate casting for Somerset and Mills? Oh. <laughs>
1: tell me it might jog my memory
0: (laughs) uh the one the two i read that stuck out i don't know if there are probably more but they they offered it to al pacino for the somerset role yeah (laughs) and they offered denzel washington the mills part but he turned it down he thought the film was like way too dark and he said he thought it was straight up evil (laughs) but he said later he regret actually they both said they regret pacino and washington said they regretted it after seeing the movie Um, you'd have
1: to because it's i mean it's just brilliant
0: yeah i can't imagine to me like pacino as the calm man is like it's kind of mind-blowing like i don't think of he's a great actor but i don't think of him as like being the calm uh uh quiet one you know but and and denzel being like the hothead i mean this is different this is a long time ago but um i just it would have been so interesting it
1: would have been weird i don't think it would have worked and i'm a fan of both of those actors work you know i think you know if you look at pacino in the 70s Mm -hmm. uh I mean, the most obvious is is his role as Michael Corleone in the Godfather trilogy. Right. You know he he does have that capacity to do calm, calculating, but he you know by the by the mid '90s, that's not those, those, those aren't the roles he was taking.
0: Right. This is between we like sensible woman and Devil's Advocate. So
1: yes, we start to get hooah.
0: Yeah, hua. Hoo-ah, you know.
1: Um. <laughs> which which is delightful in its own way. Yes. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't think it would work for this film.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh,
1: and Denzel Washington is too... I kind of like at this point in Brad Pitt's career where, you know, he had done some things like Legend of the Fall, mm-hmm. Interview with the Vampire, where he's kind of the suave, charming sex pot. Um, but... You know, he'd also done like 12 Monkeys comes out the same year.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's a very similar energy, only kind of crazy
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> as opposed to aggressive. Yeah. Uh, but I think he brings an energy to the role. And, you know, the way that they, they style his costume, he, all, of his, all of his suits don't fit quite right. <laughs> and like he just, yeah, it's hard to imagine someone else. I think that the <laughs> casting that they landed on it was perfect, and it's hard to imagine it.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd read that Brad Pitt brought his own he brought his own ugly ties to the set because he thought that Mills <laughs> would have no fashions. Was what I read. Yeah, <laughs> which that was funny yeah. that he's just kind of disheveled. Um, and yeah, the it's funny because this is not my original thought. I've heard this before. Brad Pitt people described him as a character actor in a leading man's body, which I think is such a good description of him because I feel like he wants to do these. Weirder parts, almost these side parts, or like, sure. but he's he's too good looking, so it's like he has to be a leading man. But he's into weirder shit, like he twelve yeah. monkeys, and um, I'm trying to think of. I mean, just well, he's like, in he,
1: California. He had okay, done True yeah. Romance.
0: Yeah, it's like a stoner on the couch in True Romance. You know, it's like yeah, it just does he's like he he does weirdo parts, but he's a leading man, so it's like he can't. But this is like a good mixture of like, yes. like the young shot detective, but he still has this energy, and he's so good in this. Like they're just so good together, him and um, him and Morgan Freeman, and they bring it. Like it's another reminder of like, yeah, Brad Pitt's a great actor, you know, before like being a celebrity, you know. <laughs> so, of course,
1: yeah. No, I I was really struck this time around by the scene where they've kind of bonded over working this case, and mm-hmm. when they're when they're going over the the library list that they get Mm -hmm. from the fbi and they're they're in the car going over the list of books and and mills is comfortable enough to admit that he doesn't know what of human bondage is and they can't pronounce the marquis Sade, and he's comfortable enough to admit he doesn't know those things Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and somerset doesn't make fun of him for it. He just lets him know like, no, the of human bondage isn't what you think. And it's Marquis de Sade. And, (laughs) you know, they have this great moment where these are two guys who are very different in terms of where they're at in their life and, and who they are personality wise, but they've bonded over this case and they've come to appreciate each other's good qualities and they're working together. And it's just a great moment of banter over this list of books. I just, I really love it.
0: Yeah, and I think it shows how quickly that they've kind of become more comfortable with each other and bonded over just a few days. It's like, yeah. I have to remind myself, I mean, they give you the little title cards like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but this is all happening in a very short amount of time. Like this whole investigation is happening. Yeah. So quickly. Um, but yeah, I just I love their back and forth and how it kind of builds and it feels I think it feels pretty natural for how quick it's supposed to be happening. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to look at my notes here. Um, there what do you specific-
1: think about John Doe? The casting just, of Kevin Spacey.
0: Oh, okay. I was about to bring this up too. Actually, <laughs> I was like, oh yeah. I just wrote. I wrote Spacey with the emoji, where like the, <laughs> the gritted teeth, where it's like, Ugh, <laughs> this guy. Um, okay, this <laughs> this is interesting to me when we have problematic actors, directors, or more, more even so, actors, because like producers, directors are not in front of the camera, and like actors are. So and it's. Yeah. Okay, and I know this comes up on Twitter constantly about like who like should we watch this person's movies? Should we support this artist blah 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 Um, and like I think everyone has to make that choice for themselves. Yes. like there are there are people that I don't want to watch their movies anymore directors and actors and things like that because I just can't deal with it and some people can and if they can get past that that's okay for them. Um, And this is this may sound silly, but like it helps. When an actor who is problematic is now is playing like a horrible person in the yes. movie. <laughs> because if like I, God forbid, I find out Tom Hanks is a monster. It's gonna be hard to watch like any of his movies. He's always plays the nicest right. guy or like, you know. The hero. Up, up, right, up, yeah, it's like, I don't want to know about Denzel or Tom Hanks or those guys being bad people. But like Kevin Spacey in this movie, I can look past it because... He's a monster in the movie. <laughs> like he is, right. you know, he's horrible. So, but I, it, I think it's brilliant. I'd about this that they don't put him in the opening credits. They don't yeah. show his names on like no marketing. I'm pretty sure too. I don't remember how they put it out, but like they hide him for the whole movie and until Spacey, the end credits. Yeah, and, and he gets the first credit, <laughs> and yeah. uh, and he comes in very late. And what a shock that must have been because he's a known actor, ninety five. So it's like, oh. Spacey's in this and he's the kill okay wow okay so brilliant move on their part to do it like to hide him like that um and yeah i think he's good i'm like wow you're apparently a trash person but you play a very really good serial killer
1: yeah i mean it works
0: yeah it's just and,
1: and <laughs> you know he and he delivered a hell of a performance he's only in you know he, he only has speaking parts in a couple of scenes yeah Um, And, you know, and and appears like in the earlier in the chase, but you don't realize it's him. And I don't even know how much of that is even him and how much of it is a stunt double. But, (laughs) you know, he's he's in the film. So it's a little screen time. But the you know, when this character monologues, it's like it's very memorable. And 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 Kevin Spacey is really good at delivering that unsettling it's it's that he's you know he's got that that calm voice but it's very creepy and it's not yeah. calming you know sometimes when someone <laughs> has a calm voice it's soothing this is like the opposite of that
0: <laughs> yeah I've always found him like unsettling I mean honestly it's, it's
1: calm like, and it's unnerving
0: it's yeah I always found him kind of creepy so it kind of worked out and like didn't he play I'm trying, he doesn't play a I feel like a lead hero too much, but wasn't he like the lead nice guy and like pay it forward or something? Like I don't oh. see myself returning to pay it forward ever for a lot of reasons, but one that he's like let to be like the right.
2: nice, the yeah. nice
0: sure and pay it forward and like um, he's always that kind of like like kind of a dickish quality. I feel like even when he's like, have you ever seen a called, I think it's called Twenty One, the gambling movie with like him. Oh,
1: I don't know if I saw that one.
0: Kate Bosworth I think's in it. I can't remember the lead guy. In across the universe um I think he does turn to be kind of like a bad guy in that movie, but he starts off very like the yeah. charming teacher type who like is going to help them out and make money and blah blah but it's like he always has an underlying like uh skeeziness
1: <laughs> like, I hear you you know which movie is now we're going off on tangent but I have to say this the movie that I I have yet to watch um since since all of the revelations Mm, mm -hmm. about his personal life and, and some of his actions is American beauty.
0: Oh, I've still never seen it. And all the stuff that happened with him made me put it off even farther. I think I, I
1: I love that movie. When (laughs) that movie came out, I was obsessed. I love it. Mm -hmm. And, and that character is one where there's, you know, he makes questionable choices. There's some stuff that you're like, (laughs) Oh, But there is something endearing about the character overall and and kind of his seeking redemption and change in his life. So that that's a movie that I have yet to revisit and I I kind of struggle with if I feel up to it or not.
0: Yeah. I mean that's that's like you said, you know,
1: yeah, yeah, we all make those those choices. I I am yeah, (laughs) that could be a whole other episode. (laughs)
0: It could be. I mean, I see this all the time and I think why do people get mad at other people for just determining where they're, you know, what they're
1: comfortable with, what they're comfortable what... with.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it's like, I mean, I get it and I don't, I don't know. It's so complicated, it's you know, it's, it's it's complicated. <laughs> but it, it definitely helps when they're playing a bad personality in the first place. I don't have to root for them. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> so, Oh yeah. Um, you're not
1: rooting for John Doe. Like, right. And there, there are moments in his little monologue in the car. Um, you know, where you know, he's, he's he's talking about it's interesting kind of the to contrast him and the Somerset character, mm-hmm. you know, because Somerset sees the ugliness in the world. But he's devoted his life to you know, trying to solve crimes. Right. And right. and after after playing by those rules and, and just the relentless (laughs) exposure he's burnt out and he's ready to go retreat. You know, Um, John Doe sees the ugliness in the world and he's real judgy and, (laughs) and he feels justified in, in murdering for retribution. And so it's, it's just a really interesting speech, and there's moments where you're like, like, yeah, the world is ugly, but damn, you don't have to slice <laughs> people up do and do all you that. S- <laughs> that's no, sir. <laughs> that's not okay.
0: I yeah, um, I, I kind of forgot he tries to make that case in the car oh, about yeah. like how everybody he killed was uh or you know helped kill was off or guilty the only guy i think he makes a case for that i'm kind of like okay maybe you got a point is the guy is the sloth guy because he's like a pedophile and something there was some other stuff like he sounds like a pretty bad person uh but i mean to go to the legs that he went to is like oh jesus you know it's like maybe just uh turn him in or something
2: i don't know it's right exactly
0: the lawyer it's like they're on no, no one's on the same level it's like a greedy lawyer and like a criminal pedophile. It's like, wait, it's like, I don't know. And the the, the model who is vain if I if uh in yeah. a prostitute. It's like these people aren't on the same levels, but in his mind, you know, he's cleaned up the the filth or whatever. And uh yeah, it's so yeah, it's not black and white. And that I should <laughs> that's why I was thinking I always talk about this in movies, it's kind of a tangent, but it's like it's so much easier in the real world, I obviously am much more uh, things are not very black and white like i would not be about supporting uh shooting an unarmed prisoner by a cop in right. <laughs> in the real world but right. in a movie we have all the information we know everything that he's done it's very different and that's why it's like it is,
1: it's yeah. the world it's, it's yeah it's, it's, it's a fictional <laughs> it's a fictional space right where all these things are possible and there's no consequences
0: right it's yeah it's just so different it's a movie so it's like yeah, I can see all kinds of stuff in movies, and I'm like, yeah, get him. But in the real world, I'd be like, whoa, <laughs> hang on. You know, it's like this is not as yeah. cut and dry as a movie. Um, and I have people have a problem with that, too, where they can't differentiate him. I'm like, at the end of the day, it's, it's a movie. It's not real. It's okay. <laughs> like, it's very different. Um, you know, it's it just, yeah, it's it's a complex issue. And it's he makes... It's like you see where he's coming from, I guess, but he's, he's wrong, clearly wrong. Yeah, I was gonna say it's like you're going about this the wrong way, and you're clearly insane. And um, and that reminds me the, the, I really want to ask you about this is the okay. the last line of the movie, which always stuck with me when when uh, Morgan Freeman quotes Hemingway yeah. and the, the line about the world's a fine place and worth fighting for, and then Morgan Freeman said I agree with the second part uh which i feel like i feel differently about depending on where i'm at <laughs> in my life where i'm like i'm like is the world a fine place <laughs> it's like depending on the day i'm like is it that great um worth fighting for <laughs> i agree with him on the second part but sometimes i get very
1: iffy uh, on the first on the first point yeah
0: i get very <laughs> I, i'm usually a very optimistic person honestly like i'm usually very like You know uh, the world's a good place uh, overall. We just have bad things happen, and you know. But sometimes stuff happens where I'm like, eh, maybe, (laughs) maybe not. Like, some days you get very bleak, and you know. So I'm just curious (laughs) about you and that last line because it really it's a great, it's a perfect ending, I think.
1: (laughs) It is, and I can't remember if 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 it was always intended to be there or if it's something that they had to add on to to not have the ending just be the wrath killing. Right. I I don't recall if it was something kind of like an afterthought that they kind of had to add, Uh, but I love it. It it gives, it adds to that neo-noir feel to have a narration. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love that about it style wise, but you know, in terms of the quote, I think it's, it is one of those things that you feel, you feel differently about it depending on where you're at in your own headspace and in your life. And you know, I am a pessimist.
0: Okay, <laughs> uh-huh.
1: I the cla- the glass is half empty. I'm always thinking of worst case scenarios, the worst possible outcome. Uh, <laughs> I'm <laughs> one of those people. <laughs> um, so I I love. I love that I love that quote and I love that Somerset's the one delivering it because I I I think the impact of it is like even if you're faced with all these things in the world that you you can't wrap your mind around and, and that feel wrong or not fair or even though there's pain and there's loss it's like to come to the conclusion that hey we're here and we might as well fight for it and contribute something positive, and even if we're surrounded by, <laughs> um, you know, all of these things that should completely kill the drive to do good, um, there's something kind of hopeful about that in its in its own kind of way. It's it's hopeful in a way that someone like myself, who's very pessimistic, can get behind.
0: See, this is why we get um, along. You're a pessimist. I'm an optimist. Yin and yang. Yeah. <laughs>
1: no it's totally so one of my best friends we have this this thing we've we've been talking about for years where she is the kind of person that sees signs
2: okay Uh huh.
1: like something will happen and she's like that's a sign that something good is going to happen or that's a sign that this is the, the decision i should make she sees signs I see jinxes everywhere. Like, oh, don't do that. It's a jinx. Nope. Nope. Don't say that. It's a jinx. Something bad's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Like we're those, we're the the opposite sides of that um, way of looking at the world. Um, it, it's good, it's good for someone like myself to have people like that in my life who <laughs> who can look at the positive and 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 be it, that are able to access hope a lot easier than I am.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's tough sometimes. Let me tell you, it's not. I'm not always an optimist. Like, 100% oh, of course, the time. no
1: one is. I mean, but I try. You know, yeah, no one is a no one is one way or the other a hundred percent of the time. I mean, yeah. it's just that. There's no way you can live that way. <laughs> right, because uh, it's, it's the real world. Possible. We d- we don't
0: deal in uh, you know, absolute. absolute. Yeah, exactly. Um, Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So I I feel like the ending. I feel like the addition of that narration and the use of that quote and the way the lines delivered and the, and the character that's delivering it does add this kind of ray of hope that like mm-hmm. maybe even after everything Somerset has been through and and we've seen him he went through the ringer
2: right yeah that he's
1: come <laughs> to the conclusion that even after all that he he does want to contribute
0: mm-hmm. in a
1: positive way and i like that
0: yeah, no, it's, it's good. It does feel like it's and it, it, it might have been added because it's the only bit of narration in the whole movie, right? Am I missing? I don't think I'm missing any narration. Uh, and it, it feels like it yeah, could have ended I think so. at that line where they ask him where he'll be and he just says, like, around, I'll be, I'll around. be around. Yeah, which is yeah. a great good ending. And then they add the little narration, which I love, and it always stuck with me. Because I feel like at any time in your life you could agree with one piece of that two pieces of that (laughs) like you could you know it's like the world is a fine place we're fighting for both things or i only agree with the second part you know or right yeah either
1: way it's it's a call to just keep going
0: exactly yeah yeah it's
1: keep getting up and doing your best and You know, all of that cliche stuff yeah. that they tell you, <laughs> yeah. which sounds hokey, but it's kind of necessary. Yeah. You do need <laughs> a little something
0: her. at the end of the movie. I mean, you need a little ray of hope at the end of, like, how how bleak this got. Um,
1: yeah, so. and I like that it's not... It, it Because that statement leaves it open to agree with either one or both of the points, it's not too cheerful or too saccharine
2: Right, right. not
1: too optimistic. It doesn't, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't clash with what we've just experienced. I think it fits really nicely.
0: I, I agree. I agree. Um, trying to think of anything else. I feel like I could have talked way more about like, how well I think Fincher directs it, but uh, we've already gone for two hours almost. But I think it's pretty well said <laughs> that we're like, he, he does a great job. I feel like I love the way it looks. I... Oh, it looks
1: beautiful. And this was like a dream team. Mm-hmm. Between, um, So you have Fincher directing, and this was still pretty early in his career. I don't know. Have we? Have you and I ever talked about how you feel about Alien 3?
0: No, but this, <laughs> it's funny because I don't know when this episode we're recording might come out. And I did an episode with Chris Hurtado on Inside the Sequel about Alien Resurrection. And I thought he said he might be doing one Alien 3 with him. Maybe. <laughs> uh, I love it. Okay. So, and I... I will tell you right now, Colby. I'm sorry. I think I heard you like Alien Three. I, hate I love Alien. it. I hate Alien. Most people hate it. it Most people hate it. I love it. It. I feel like it spits in my face. I love Alien so much. It's like a top ten all time movie for me. And I feel like Alien Three comes in and just kicks me in the balls and like spits on me. And it was like fuck aliens. Like it's like and it's so and it's so bleak too. It's so. It's like it's it is not a fun movie to watch. I think it's, it's actually very I think it's, bleak. I think it's well made. Uh, I know we had a lot of problems with the studio. A
1: lot of problems,
0: and I, I do. I don't think it's a bad movie from the perspective of filmmaking, but I just literally cannot get past what it does <laughs> to aliens. Like it kills me, and like how it d- deals with Ripley at the end. It's like I hate what this is doing to this franchise that I love. And Alien Resurrection is <laughs> better for me because it's so it's so separated from everything else. <laughs> Alien three hits too close to home. It's like this is. Too, it feels like a personal attack on me. <laughs> I think,
1: like, I think it's good that this didn't come up at the beginning of the episode oh, no.
0: <laughs>
1: because because as soon as your listeners heard that I love Alien three, like you would have lost half of them.
0: Listen, they, they might know been
1: like Nah.
0: They might have lost, They know I love Alien Resurrection because that movie gets <laughs> wrapped on all the time. It's like a joke, like and. I think it's just so much more fun. Like, and it's so separated from alien, any of the alien movies at that point. It's so yeah. it's 200 yeah. years in the future. Ripley's a clone. Like it's, it's just a sort of nonsense. Like, I mean, in a good way, it's like, it's so far out there. It's a fun watch. It's very fun. It's crazy. It gets, it's disgusting. As I told Chris, it is a disgusting, <laughs> gross movie that ben. I can't believe was made for like $75 million by like this crazy Frenchman director They gave this money to. And, uh, so I can deal with that one much better. And I think it's fun. But Alien 3 just kills me. Like, and I don't, oh, but I don't think I love I've ever it. I watched
1: love it. I love the it. assembly
0: <laughs> cut. Do you think the assembly <laughs> cut's like a much better cut than the theatrical cut? I, or... I, don't,
1: I don't know. I don't think I've ever
0: think I. I don't, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Everybody always said, like, watch the, the other cut, the later cut of Alien 3 because it is better because there was so much studio meddling. Yeah. Um, uh... So I don't know. I should probably rewatch it. Maybe I'll appreciate it more uh, if I can try it. You might
1: not. I mean, it's kind of of a general thing. I assume people hate it.
0: Well, I told Chris that I think that people, it's two camps. You love Alien 3 and you hate Resurrection. You love Resurrection. You hate Alien 3. I feel like people are, they got to pick a side. It's like, you can only love one or the other. I don't know why, but that's how I get. I enjoy
1: them both, but
0: I enjoy Resurrection.
1: I think Resurrection is fun, but I love Alien 3 okay i love it but it... all of this to say <laughs> sorry the whole yeah. point of this was <laughs> oh no i mean i would be happy to go down on this tangent but your poor <laughs> listeners don't want to hear me gush about <laughs> alien three the, my point being that like i love what fincher was doing at this time so you have fincher has coming off of alien three and and then he gets seven and it's almost like a perfecting of the whole bleak mood thing <laughs> the writer andrew kevin walker he goes on to do 8 millimeter and sleepy hollow but at this time like this was the only thing that i was aware of
2: this is his first script a, yeah
1: yeah the way that it's written is i mean it's just it's tremendous music by howard shore the score
2: yeah love awesome. the score
1: <laughs> love it the cinematography darius kanji he had worked with um well he he did the cinematography for alien resurrection
0: oh okay that makes yeah i could see that
1: (laughs) did delicatessen and city of lost children yes okay and like all of that tracks in terms of
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: you know the the aesthetic that we get in seven and then you you know and the editing is awesome and you have richard francis bruce doing the editing like this like this collection of professionals working on this movie creates a masterpiece period <laughs> like it's a masterpiece and I... I think it took all of those all of those talents to make it what it is
0: yes i could have said it by myself i agree 100 i think i think it's Venture's masterpiece i think it's a perfect movie uh and it's funny you brought up the editing because that was the only oscar nomination i got was the editing yeah which i was like this i was like this must have got a couple oscar nominations nope, nope just just editing probably too dark for the academy i assume it wasn't yeah about-
1: i think people <laughs> i think they they weren't ready <laughs> they, they, they weren't ready for um the lust kill and Oof. yeah <laughs> um and the sloth kill like i i don't think that they <laughs> it's a real shame though because the performances and the cinematography and the writing—I mean, everything about this. Yeah, I, yeah, that's a damn shame.
0: I thought Freeman would have gotten nominated. That's why I looked up. I was like, was he nominated for like best actor, best supporting actor? No, of course not. I don't know what. Like, it wasn't about movies or historical figures. The Oscars <laughs> didn't care. We're uh, <laughs> like, oh, are not I'm bitter
1: any. or anything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm constantly bitter at the Oscars. Like, um, it's so annoying though because every year they'll nominate a couple movies where I'm like, oh, it's a great movie, and then they nominate stuff where I'm like really like and they get the, they miss people they it's, oh my god the fact they didn't nominate Delroy Lindo for I know. The Five Bloods is one of I know horrible. yeah <laughs> it's, anyway yeah, i don't want to go off on the oscars it's it, oh, it's rough but um so yeah i think i uh i was going to ask you i think we both know our top answer but what would you say are your top 3 David Fincher movies
1: <sighs> okay <laughs> okay so i mean it's 7 Alien 3 and Zodiac.
0: Wow. Okay. You love Alien 3 that much. That is am- yes. <laughs> I, I, it's amazing. I love that. No, I just, you're going to make me I'm watch gonna Alien say, 3 I'm going to say
1: something to you that I don't know that I've ever put it like this to okay. anyone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this with your dear Film Feast listeners, and they're going to mock me for it, and that's fine. <laughs> I actually am more inclined to watch, to rewatch Alien 3 than I am Aliens.
0: Wow. I
1: and am... I love Aliens. I, <laughs> I do. This is not done. a knock on Alien. <laughs> do
0: you I like do it more love than it. the first Alien? No. Okay. <laughs> that no. would have been a real
1: Alien, hot Alien yeah. 1979, is one of my favorite, all time favorite films. Okay. okay. <laughs> Nothing touches that. None of the other Alien films come close <laughs> for me.
0: Okay, fair enough. I But
1: yeah, in terms of like rewatchability, something that like I'm more likely to put on of the sequels, I am more likely to watch Alien 3.
0: Interesting. Okay, you're going to get me to give Alien 3 like a 10th chance. <laughs>
1: and, gonna and you're going to curse me the entire time.
0: I'm going to watch that other cut this time, which I'm still so not sure <laughs> that I've actually watched. I watched Alien 3 a lot on the TV, which probably didn't help. I don't know why it was like on might
1: not have help. Yeah. TNT
0: all the time or something. And I'm like, I'm watching Alien. I kept trying to watch it to like it, and it never worked. Because I mean you just
1: might not like it and different strokes, my friend. Different strokes for different folks. It's okay. Well,
0: I have also noticed that it seems like there's two camps for alien people where it's like it's Alien One and Alien Three, and Aliens and Alien Resurrection, because they're very they're more similar. Alien One and Three are because yes. it's one alien, it's people Correct. without weapons, it's isolation, and then Aliens and Resurrection, more the fun team up movies. Action. You've got a whole crew action oriented. You've got which I definitely lean more towards. As a kid, I was like young when i was younger i was way more in aliens and alien but now i've come to realize like no aliens a masterpiece so uh they're on the same level but they're so different aliens and aliens yeah. so um yeah. i can't i won't judge it too harshly again it. it's different it's different vibes it's different uh <laughs> different things but um because aliens and alien three could not be farther apart i feel like for being part of the same franchise it's like
1: oh so, for sure so different Very different
0: um okay all right that was interesting i'm this is tough i asked you and i'm like okay i know seven's number one <laughs> um oh boy when i was younger i know fight club would have been in this top three because uh it's a real young man's movie but i still think it's great um because i i felt like i always got what they were doing i feel like people took the wrong lessons from fight club <laughs> like uh i never this Sorry, another tangent,
1: but I feel like no. Please do. I actually rewatched Fight Club recently.
0: Oh yeah, I saw that. I thought you had like the best night ever because you had a double feature of like uh, Fight Club and Matrix, and I was like, I did, oh my yeah. god, this is like what? Ninety nine is an amazing year for movies, and that's like two of my favorite movies of all time. And it's like, oh yeah, so I was like, oh great night. But um, I think Fight Club. I don't people who like. Like you take fight club and they're only into like oh i want to start a fight club people like wolf of wall street and only like take the party aspects and they always right. miss like the people watch any scorsese when take they don't they don't get to the ending i guess because they miss the downfall
2: part. right like right. i've
0: never i've never envied these guys or like admired them like like no no like th- this is gonna go bad like wrong because i had no illusions of being those guys <laughs> so i'm like i'm not gonna be like brad pitt like get out of here <laughs> like um so i just i fight club had a bad reputation for a while i think it's still a great movie um this is all to say i don't know if it's my top three okay zodiac's number three what's my number two hang on <laughs> uh i'll still put fight club in there that was a lot to get fight club in number two <laughs> i really had to talk that out um <laughs> But then, like, oh, my God, Social Network's so good, but I never really watched Social Network. Uh, um, What are some other ones? I feel like. I just watched
1: Gone Girl for the first time last week.
0: Very good. I feel like Gone Girl. I did not like it. Oh, you didn't like
1: it? I didn't like it at all.
0: (laughs) This is the part of the podcast where you disagree on movies. (laughs) <laughs> the last 10 minutes where we're like oh i like this oh i don't like that oh i like <laughs> i thought i will say this i i like gone girl i thought if that movie was in anybody else's hands but david fincher it would have been a much worse movie i, yes. I think it made it interesting i for agree sure.
1: that's true
0: <laughs> you and um, i
1: agree there i probably wouldn't have got through it <laughs> if it I, weren't for fincher and what he's able to accomplish
0: yeah i did you have you watched mank yet
1: I haven't watched it yet. I, it's I on my. It. It's, it's on one of my watch
0: lists. <laughs> I listen. It's on Netflix, so I mean, it's there. But I really did not like Mank. That was a struggle to get through. Like painful, painful. Oh, <laughs> like, no,
1: I'm curious. I'm really curious where I'll fall on this one.
0: Yeah. Well, now I want to know. I think the only one that I have not seen of his is Curious Case of Benjamin Button.
1: I haven't seen that one either, okay. which is kind of funny because. Because it's something that you know I would have watched. What year did that come
0: out? I want to say like oh no, Zodiac came out seven. Um, ah, boy, oh nine, oh eight, somewhere in there. Um, yeah, I'm looking it
1: up. I don't know why I didn't I didn't see that one, but I didn't, and there's oh. no reason for it. Like Gone Girl, <laughs> I avoided forever because I I really don't enjoy Ben Affleck.
0: I, that's understandable.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, I get it. I get it. I, uh, I go back and forth on Ben Affleck. Like
1: I've, I avoided that for a long time. So <laughs> Fight Club is an interesting one. You bring up Fight Club, and, and I think if you had asked me even five years ago, Fight Club would have been in that top three. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only reason it's not in my top three right now is because I just recently rewatched it. And I don't know, man, I felt (laughs) I I think like you mentioned, like, I think some of the the cultural stuff that's happened around. Yeah, the the (laughs) fandom of that film has kind of has kind of soured me a little bit.
0: Mm -hmm. I was
1: really, (laughs) really gung ho about it when it first came out. I was. Um, Yeah, I was too. And I mean, just way into it. And I think I saw it in the theater more than once and we used to rent it all the time. I have it on VHS, like love the movie. I, I think that one is one where once I know, once you know the twist the first couple times, you know, the first few times I rewatch it after that, it's cool to pick up all the little clues that were, mm-hmm. that were there all along as to the identity of Tyler Durden. Um, but I think now over 20 years later and numerous watches, I think I finally <laughs> hit the point where I'm just not as excited about it. If that yeah. makes sense.
0: No, that's, <laughs> that's understandable. I, I feel like it, it definitely held up for a couple times after I knew the twist. Cause then it's so interesting to go back and watch it and catch all the, right. the hints like that I, I've said this before. I think in like my life, I've only put a movie on immediately after finishing it three times, and like one of those times was Fight Club. I watched, I rented sure. it, watched it. I was like, I gotta watch that again right now because I'm like, wait, what just happened? Uh, totally blown away by that twist. And it's so there is so much to pick up on when you know it. But then I think I did get to that point too, where it'd been a while. I'd watched it so much as a kid, or not? I say kid, but teenager. But um, yeah, when you're younger. Yeah, and I came back to it, and it wasn't as exciting. Right. I mean, how can it be? You know, it's like, so. Right. You know, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, and they, and the, yeah, the, the point, the culture just, like, kind of poisoned the the whole thing. But I try to get past it because um I think they, like I said, I think people took the wrong messages from fight club so oh they
1: absolutely did
0: i can't let the bros ruin fight club for me because i I know i i don't want that honestly i don't
1: i don't want them to ruin it for me either
0: (laughs) it's tough i get Uh, i get what you're saying yeah
1: yeah yeah i think on any given day my number three spot could go either way fight club or zodiac depending on my mood
0: right (laughs) yeah that's I, I I get it I get it um I kind of want to watch Fight Club again but I kind of don't so now kind of like I'm like do I want to watch Fight Club again I don't know I'm it's one of those things I mean, right
1: it's another iconic film and and yeah. the time when it came out it was just I mean we were mind blown and you hadn't seen anything like it before
0: yeah I mean I was like I said a couple years late uh, and it was still blown away by it it was such a cultural moment you know it was like everybody was doing like oh don't talk about fight club you know <laughs> <It was> like,
1: <laughs> Oh, dude well, it hit at a really interesting part in my life because i i was um my family got a computer and we got internet access in 1997.
2: oh wow okay mm-hmm.
1: and so i'd only been on the i'd only been using accessing the internet for two years and I immediately <laughs> went looking for all of, all of the cool shit I couldn't find in my hometown. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and I was more involved at that point. I was young. I was more involved in um, political stuff and interested in activism. And, and so like, I remember when, this ca- when Fight Club came out, I had been on particular websites that were talking about organizing ahead of the Seattle WTO convention.
0: I remember this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and like, I remember going to see Fight Club with my friends, and I was like, dude, like, no, like, shit is really happening in the world. People are going to rise up. I remember being <laughs> like, <laughs> like, so, like, fired up, but like, the anti capitalist message mm-hmm. in Fight Club oh, at the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and feeling like, like, no, like, there's, like, there's people that are going to fuck shit up. And, <laughs> um you know and then and then two months later um the protests at the wto uh in seattle happened and i remember watching him watching it on the news and just being like dude (laughs) you know and and being young enough thinking everything's going to change now which of course it's not how the world (laughs) works um
0: yeah Yeah. it's like we've had so many
1: there's that that uh, that pessimistic cynicism, <laughs> um, but yeah, like so at the time, it was like the movie, the themes and the things it was exploring, and the way it was exploring them visually, and through the way that the story was told. I mean, it was mind blowing.
0: Right. It really felt like a, a fight the system type movie, you know, like yeah, damn the band, did. type blow up the credit card companies. Like, yeah, it's like, and I was 15. I never credit. card. <laughs> But I'm like, yeah, fuck credit card. I'm you know, like, like, what am I fighting against? I'm in the suburbs. Like, we're doing fine. But I'm still like, yeah, like, get them. Like, it it's just it's like, so. I it, it it's I always hear it referred to as like an angry young person movie, and I get that. I think there's more to kind of like. I feel like there's another way to look at it. The, the older I get, and I really haven't, like I said, revisited in a long time. Right. Kind of curious, but I feel like you could look at it now. as... I don't like a. I think I've heard it talked about as, like, a knock on, like, toxic masculinity. and
1: Oh, that's, yeah, that's definitely in there.
0: Right. But the problem, it's, like, a knock on that, but then they took it, and it became a part of toxic masculinity.
1: (laughs) It's, like, how what? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's always the risk that you run. For sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's, like, if you play it too close, then people don't get it, but you don't want to be too obvious, I guess. So, yeah. I mean, it was a moment. I mean, 99 was a freaking amazing year for movies and
1: oh it was oh my
0: god i'm reading this i'm still reading this book and very slowly uh called like the best year ever best movie year ever about 99 and i go through it and i'm like jesus even like the minor i mean, air quotes minor movies are like movies that are still talked about and quoted and like they were talking about the whole tactic like the teen movies that came out in 99 how those are sure. still like talked about and it's like um but yeah fight club was i mean that was a big deal and i got my hands on that i feel like i was getting away with something because you know, that was still like, ooh, I'm going to get this, you know, cool, edgy, R-rated movie in my house. <laughs> and like, oh, you know,
1: totally. And yeah. like,
0: ooh, I'm getting away with something. Um, So I- I've actually thought about doing an episode on Fight Club, but I kind of want to, it's one of those movies I almost want to stay away from because it's kind of divisive and it's kind of a lightning rod. I think it's a little calmer now, but it's still like...
1: Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, that's a tricky one. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tricky one. After all these years and kind of,
0: yeah, <laughs> I may find some way to sneak it in, like as, amongst other movies, amongst like a 90, other
1: movies, yeah,
0: like a ninety-nine thing or uh, uh, maybe a certain topic or something. I don't know if there I will do a episode. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it's interesting for sure. Um, so, uh, but yeah, well, we've been on for like two hours. Do you have anything else on, on uh, seven you want to <laughs> talk about? Or <laughs> <laughs> I just looked at the time and I was like, wow, okay. I I, I worry sometimes people like. If they like, I don't mind long podcasts, but I get conscious about my own podcast going on too long. But I've had a good time oh, talking totally. to you, so I'm good. So, but do you have anything Hey, else? man,
1: yeah. they can pause and listen later to the That's rest. True. That's true.
0: That, you don't you have to back. do it
1: all in one sitting.
0: <laughs> That's very true. Um, so, I've just had a good time talking <laughs> to you about David Fincher and Seven and all this stuff. So, um, is there anything you like really want mentioned about Seven though before we wrap up?
1: Okay, I have one question for okay. you. After watching this the mm-hmm. first time, did you think that you saw the head in the box?
0: No, no. And today, today when I was rewatching it, I, I feel like it wasn't the first time I noticed. I'm sure, but I took a moment where I'm like, oh shit, what was that? It was I that quick flash, which he has a lot more of in Fight Club. Funny enough, that yeah. comes up. But no, I i if I if I had noticed, I had forgotten. And today, I was like, oh shit, and I. I thought going back and trying to pause it, and I was like, "I don't, I don't want to waste my time on that." <laughs> I was like, "I'm good," um, but no, I, I, today was the first time I really kind of noted it. I guess is the way to put it.
1: That's, so that's one. Like- it's I'm always curious about this movie. Anytime it comes up, like in a casual conversation, I'm always curious if people came away from that first viewing thinking they saw the head in the box. Because I was conv- like, I just in my mind, I saw the head in the box. Interesting. And it, okay. And it's. You know, and, and then I, I remember, like, going back to rewatch it and realizing, like, like no, we don't actually see in the box. But, like, my mind and the, the little flash that you kind of get, like, y- your mind just fills in the blanks and your imagine runs away. And, like, after that first viewing, if someone had asked me, I would have said, yeah, we saw the head in the box. <laughs> and yeah. it didn't happen.
0: That's once again, the whole thing in the movie, it's like a lot of your imagination running wild and you don't see as much as you think you yeah. see. And I could have sworn it ain't. I didn't notice as much. I used to think that you could see like some strands of hair coming out of the box and like there was a little bit of blood, I think, on the t- on the, the folds of the box. Yeah,
1: there's a little there's a little blood on one of the 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 flaps,
0: but I didn't see any like strands of hair come out like did i imagine that or am i thinking of like maybe i missed again but but i yeah you don't see it and but there is that flash and i was like i should go back and look i'm like yeah i don't really want to
1: (laughs) yeah because it doesn't really matter
0: right we know you really
1: saw it or not you get the impression of what's in the box
0: yeah and it's (laughs) that's one last thing i want to mention too in a way i kind of hate how (laughs) how the whole like What's in the box thing has become a little bit of like a meme or like a joke because I know it's such a sad, dark moment that it's become kind of a joke. And listen, I'm guilty of it. Like, if I come around and, and like, someone has a box, I'm like, what's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> like, I
1: can't this is how people come like, with like laughing at funerals.
0: Ex- exactly. Exactly. Like, in the moment in the movie, it still works, but I was thinking, like, oh, right, the what's in the box thing is a real like joke. <laughs> like, I but I know. think in the movie, it's still totally hits i just you know i was kind of like oh, it a still but... works
1: i i hope that if there's a young first time viewer you know some <laughs> 17 18 year old somewhere who's watching it for the first time i'm hoping that the meme doesn't ruin that for them because yeah it's good this movie's <laughs> awesome it's i'm great. so glad that we got to talk about it
0: me Thank too again yeah i i'm so happy you did this and i feel like you yeah, this was great. You brought so much. I was like I couldn't imagine doing this episode with someone else. I feel like you brought so much oh, good stuff here. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh we'll have to do a, a happy movie next time. Because <laughs> we did Mandy, we did Seven. What's what's next? Let's do uh <laughs> I was trying to think of a bleak smoke I could think of. I couldn't think of anything. <laughs> it's like what's a really dark movie? That's uh, a really
1: messed up one.
0: Oh man. Let's do uh a Lars Van Trier movie. <laughs> Still haven't seen one of his movies, actually, um, but I kind of want to. Uh, I don't know. We'll have to pick. We'll have to think of something. that's like a little more. I'll think
1: of something. I, not yeah. everything I watch is depressing.
0: <laughs> yeah, me neither. I, you know, I usually watch. <laughs> I go back and forth. But, oh, one last thing about Seven. Sorry. I meant hey, to bring this up. No, do I, it. I love that because it's like a nameless city and because it feels a little bit like it's not really like tagging itself on the time period. I always forget this day 95 and we always think it comes later and I feel like it feels timeless mm. in a way because yes. it doesn't doesn't tie itself too closely to one place at one time it kind of feels like it kind of exists in like this other world or so you know it's like not to sound corny but it's like I know absolutely I, when I saw 95 I'm like how the hell is this 95 it feels like it's still so fresh when you said like oh, maybe like an 18-year-old kid finds it now. I hope they would still enjoy it because I don't think it feels dated at all, honestly.
1: No, it's... You know what I was thinking is that the city, it, it almost functions like Gotham does
2: mm, mm-hmm.
1: in, yeah. in the Batman franchise. hmm You know, or, yeah. where it's, it's kind of a stand-in for New York, but it's not New York. Right. And it's... it's yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a place that exists, (laughs) you know, kind of parallel outside of it's not tied to one particular place in time. This movie is that way, which is part of what makes it so rewatchable, even though it's so heavy is is that it doesn't feel dated.
0: Exactly. Yeah. You could watch anytime it feels good. And I I was thinking like, yeah, I've watched this a lot more than I realized (laughs) because I really remembered like everything. And I'm like, how was I watching this so (laughs) much? like um but i remember i had my cool uh dvd special edition of, like composition notebook did you have yeah, that one i, I no, love that was my favorite dvds that was like that and the memento dvd that was like a little blue mm. notebook with like the, these cool special editions and i was like i miss those kind of that cool packaging but i remember that i was like oh didn't i have like that seven dvd with like composition notebook and i looked it up on ebay i was like oh yeah that was a thing okay i didn't imagine that but um <laughs> Yeah, I was really in this movie, and I still think it's amazing. I think it's a masterpiece. So I think we both made that very clear. So um, I hope people, uh, you know, if they haven't seen this, if they listen this far, sorry we spoiled it, but you should definitely see Seven or go rewatch it if you're feeling uh, maybe kind of down. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what the (laughs) best time to rewatch it is. If you're feeling super happy, or if you're feeling really sad, I don't know. (laughs) But um, it's a great, it's a great movie. I think it holds up so well um but yes True. Carmelita. yes <laughs> thank you so much for doing this i will let you go ahead and plug whatever you would like to plug
1: <laughs> i am so stoked we did this thank you again <laughs> film Feast listeners can find me on twitter or letterboxd same handle at carmelita says
0: okay easy enough yeah uh and then for for us uh yeah you could follow the podcast on twitter at film feast pod you could follow me on twitter at Maple 87 and you could follow me and the podcast on instagram at film feast all one word and uh yeah, thank you again carmelita this was great um and hope we'll do this again soon hopefully so
1: <laughs> absolutely anytime
0: all right and thank you guys for listening we'll see you next time